Good evening and welcome back to another episode of the Rat Knife Podcast. We are joined tonight by special guest and director of Jason Goes to Hell, Adam Marcus. Hey guys. Hey guys. Good evening and welcome. So this is going to be our, this is, this will be coming out in October. So this will be our Halloween episode. So happy awesome. Halloween to everyone out there. Yep. That's fabulous. When this episode drops, I'll be in New Jersey for ChillerCon. Oh, awesome. So oh, nice. yeah. 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 That's super ironic because we were literally talking about it earlier and I was like, I wonder if he ever does any conventions on the East Coast because we do Monster Mania like almost every oh, yeah. single year. I don't know if you've been out to it. I have not been a guest at Monster Mania yet, yet my uh, promoter wants me to do it. And I was like, uh, yeah, let's do oh, it. So It would be so cool if you could do it in March because that's our, our plan to come back for that. And it's awesome. honestly, it's a hosted hotel convention. So mm -hmm. you just get there, you set up and you don't have to go anywhere. I love it. The food is, is not bad. Um, so you know you get to hang out with us in person so that's cool yeah no but great uh send me send me the details on it because uh, i'll i'll pass them along and make sure that she gets me set up for mark have, have you done chiller a uh, few times or is this your first one no this is my first chiller i've done a number of conventions but really i was one of those people that was sort of like for so long i didn't do them uh because when <laughs> when i first started my first film is so divisive. Right. This is before sort of the keyboard warriors took over. Oh, People God. would really like hold in their hatred and then like explode at me oh, in like a, a, a hotel bar. And it'd be like, dude, I did not rape your childhood. It's all <laughs> good. Like, we're good. We're good. Um, you know. Yeah, so it got to a point where I was like, man, this is for the birds. <laughs> I don't need this. And honestly, I was busy making movies. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, I, I, I always preferred doing like um, festivals, right? And it was awesome because you'd have a new piece of work that you'd be showing and people would be talking about that. And what's interesting is that now that there's been this kind of amazing turn on Jason Goes to Hell, where people are suddenly rediscovering the movie, or there's a ton of younger audience that that was their first Jason. Right. Yes. No. So that's their introduction to Friday the 13th. And then they go back and look at, like, the first one and, like, this is boring. Kill her, mommy. Kill her. Or, or, wait a minute, why aren't there demons? When is that going to happen? And, you know, why is the evil dead involved? So suddenly there was this turn on the movie where now I'm not a dick. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a guy who made, like, a fun movie, and isn't that cool? Oh, so sure. it, So conventions have changed tremendously for me in that regard. You know, uh, now now I'm now I'm thrilled to do it, and it's fun. That's, you know, you I, disrupted. Look, that's a cool thing. You disrupted the franchise, right? Which I did. like, which is, you know what? That's the best way to innovate is through disruption. So I, I was. Thanks, we love this one. Thank all you. All right, and uh, thank you for so many reasons. But 
uh, like the comedy aspect of it is great with like Creighton Duke and stuff. And yeah. uh, people get stuck on this, and we talk about this like pretty routinely, like in the podcast. And uh, you're either, you know, a modernist or you're an old school guy or whatever. And, th- and there's like no room to budge in it. Right. And it's it's like if you're a true horror fan, you got to take it all in, and you're gonna find yeah. something wrong with every single movie. And, and I'm sure, like, and you're gonna poke holes more than anybody with it, like being your, you know, your child. So, uh, and we're all artists here. So it's like, we right. all understand that people might love something or they might hate something. And, you know, for the people that hate it, you're, you can self deprecate very fast and be like, yeah, it's, I know things that you don't even know about this. Mm-hmm. Horror has many faces. Death wears many different masks. Pure evil wears only one. And this is your final chance to see it. Jason goes to hell. You know, the other part of it is that, look, I I actually, more than just respecting, and I, I like what you said about, you know, we're all artists. Here's the thing. The first problem is when you really, when a piece of art is new, when something is a, a new creation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when, when someone tells you, like, um, your kid is, uh, that kid must be a special needs kid, um, you want to punch them right in their throat, right? Because that's your kid, right? right? So you don't want anybody, like, saying something terrible about your baby, right? right. Eventually, sure. even as a parent, you get to a point you're like, no, my kid's an idiot. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Um, he's my idiot and I love him, right. but he's, you can't a, he's an it. idiot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so the thing is, is that um, uh, specifically with Jason Goes to Hell, what's amazing about the movie, and I, and I reference this a lot because it, it really does say everything about our genre and about the fandom of our genre, which is there is nobody better than a horror fan. They'll drive you crazy, but there's nobody better. They are, mm-hmm. they know things chapter and verse. There were people who told me a couple things about my movie that I was like, wow, yeah, yeah. I didn't ever really think about that, but yeah. That's um, and, and that's kind of the incredible thing about our, our, about our fans. Here's the thing. On the night that Jason Goes to Hell came out, August 13th, 1993, I had seen the movie so many times at that point. I mean, just hundreds, right? You don't want to and look at it again. <laughs> I really didn't. And and, I, and that whole week, I had been, you know, we'd done a, a this star-studded gala at the uh, Man's Chinese with red carpet treatment and the whole thing. And Mark and Brian had done that out. It was amazing, right? So I had this incredible experience with it. But we got to opening night, and I was like, I, I can't, I can't watch it again. I, I just can't yeah. watch it again. Like I'm done. So I bought a ticket for my movie. And I walked across the hall to see Searching for Bobby Fischer, which opened the same night. Nice. Right? In a world that thrives on competition. Why do you want your son to play chess? Oh, I don't. He does. Searching for Bobby Fischer. So, Searching for Bobby Fischer, you know, Steve Zalian, who's a genius, Ben Kingsley, Joan Allen, Joe Montagna. It's an amazing movie, right? It's still an incredible film. Is this the one with the uh, African American man in the Navy? No, that grew up in the foster system. I think. Am I thinking of a completely different movie? You're thinking no, searching for no. You're thinking of uh, no. You're thinking of Antoine uh, Antoine Fisher. Uh, Antoine Fisher. Okay. Which was Denzel Washington's directorial debut. Yeah. 
Which is also a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. A great movie. No, Searching for Bobby Fischer is about this child prodigy who's a chess genius. Okay. It's a thrilling movie. Here's mm-hmm. the thing, and I love that you just did that. So here's a movie with, like, nothing but Academy Award winners, and then there's Jason Goes to Hell. No one even knows that Searching for Bobby Fischer happened. <laughs> but, but fucking Jason Goes to Hell is still being discussed, argued, dissected. Then again, Marcus points out that Jason was a zombie who used to be a dead swampy boy. We didn't make any sense. Have you watched the other films? We just played into that for you so perfectly. We're all like, Bobby, yeah, that sounds familiar. I was like, yeah, this does sound familiar. But I'm going to tell you one thing yeah. is I grew up in a sm- I, the small town that I live in, in Medfield. We had a place called Video World here where we used to go and, and pick out video, VHS tapes. And I come from a horror family. So, like, you know, it, it's been it's been a real thing, like, within, like, I'll just say my bloodline. But um, I used to go into this small VHS store and I will tell you, your movie, the cover art to that VHS tape, changed everything for me. I used to stare at that. So, like, when yep. we came out with that pin, and I don't know how you stumbled upon us, but I want to find out. But when, when, we, when we came out with that pin, I was like, it needs to be a chrome. Like, it has to be true to this cover and stuff. And I just remember these, like, snake-like things going through the eyeballs. And I was this little kid, and I used to, I used to rent two movies religiously, and it was The Monster Squad. Give me the amulet, you bitch. And Fright Night. Mm-hmm. Now we wouldn't want to wake your mother, would we, Charlie? <laughs> then I'd have to kill her, too. I used to rent them over and over again. Great and, movies. You know, and Great movies. Yes, and, uh, I, but I used to always stare at that VHS tape, and then I eventually did get it, and it was in like the old like clamshell squeeze, you know, mm-hmm. just like popped out cut box. And the artwork was embossed. It came off the, it was, came off the actual box like it, that. Yeah. That, it was coming at you. It was like it uh, was so sick. I remember like the same, same, very similar situation. But I remember like looking at that and being like, "That's serious. Like that's I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready to watch that. Like it's got the embossing, the flames. I'm like this is too metal for me. I don't I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> that is so good. It's awesome though. Yeah. Um, like that, yeah. That, no. The people at New Line in that day and age, I mean, you talk about artists, the 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 marketing people, like the marketing people ran that joint. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like in a gross sort of like they made the box art fit the movie to it. Right. They never, there was none of that. It yeah. was, I spent so much time with marketing people that year before the movie came out. I knew everybody by their first names. Right. We were all friendly. They were constantly throwing stuff by me. Cool. Um, it couldn't have been more, more copacetic. And here's the thing. You have to remember when I shot the movie, I was told shoot it way more extreme than you're ever going to be allowed to release it in this country. Make this thing as as gory and as fun and as out of your mind as you can. So I was like, okie doke. I mean, again, remember Bob right? Kurtzman, you know, Bob Kurtzman was my was my lead artist off of KNB. And Bob And you're and I, 23 years old. I was 23. Yeah. They just yeah. cut the they just cut the leash for you. They really did. Well, you know what it was? <laughs> Honestly, they loved what we did in the script. They loved all the artwork that I had been doing for the movie. And then they loved what KMB was contributing. And here's the thing: once they saw the first three days of dailies. They left me alone. Oh, they went, awesome. this is great. We're good. Done. Awesome. We'll see We'll see you guys at the screening. Bye. And they left. Wow. And I was like, wait a minute. what? And I never saw the executives from New Line again. Wow. 
That's amazing. Because they That's just awesome. loved what I was doing. They were like, so this great. is great. We're not going to stick around so, and ruin this. Right. And that's the thing. Like, New Line knew that. Like, they knew, don't get in the way of the sauce. The filmmakers got it. Let him do his thing. And I remember even when the movie came out, Mike DeLuca got interviewed about the film uh, for, I think it was Cinefantastique. And he he said, this is not a Friday the 13th movie. This is so much more akin to a James Cameron movie. And I was like, what did you just say about me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's like, it, he said, there's the, he said the sequence from the police station through the diner. He's like, that's the Terminator. I'll be back. Right. He said, this guy wasn't making Jason. He was making the Terminator. Yeah. And by the the interesting thing about that is that before I went to make the movie, when I, when when myself and Dean Laurie were writing the script, Sean Cunningham said to me, he said, look, we're making a two and a half million dollar film. And remember, Jason goes is two and a half million. It's way less than the Paramount movies. Right. And he says, when someone comes to the theater to watch your film, they're going to pay the same amount of money as they do to see T2, which had just come out, right? He's like, what are you going to show them that they can't get across the hallway at T2? Right, right. (laughs) So we were never trying to, like, go above and beyond Friday the 13th. We were like, what can we do just to be fucking like badass like right. how can we just supercharge this movie in every way oh, that's so, so that was sort of everybody involved with the movie was was dedicated to that approach and to that idea that's awesome. looking at it through that optic is is yeah really that's cool. just crazy i never new, thought of it that way yeah, a whole new viewpoint on that like the that's so like cool. you have to make a porsche this guy has a hundred thousand you have a thousand but they're all gonna sell for two hundred thousand so you need <laughs> right. to be able to make the same car Mm-hmm. Nowhere with no near parts. the same budget. Yeah, no yep. Yep. It's true. It's Super really true. Cool, though. And, Love you know, that. somebody somebody just today asked me, there's a fan who asked me something about the Guinness Book of World Records for, for Kane, because one of the things that, that I'm, you know, because we're doing this documentary on, on the movie, mm-hmm. um, I've been kind of going back through all of this stuff and talking to everybody again. And I was talking with Tom Bellissimo, who was, who's our VFX guy, right? Who's the guy who blew up Jason, right? So cool. Because Kane wanted to do this, right? And because Tom is a maniac, he's like, okay, so I said, I want Kane literally to be shot so many times in this movie at the beginning of the film, in the first scene. I said, I want so many bullets ripping through this guy. And I said, I don't just want squibs on the front. I got to have squibs on the back. I want to see bullets going through him, right? So Kane is like, so it should be kind of like the Godfather. I said, exactly, exactly. I want the audience to go, how the hell is he still standing? And then we have to blow you up with a missile. Yeah, then we right? call on the artillery, yeah. <laughs> right. Amazing. Here's the thing. We put more squibs on Kane's body than had ever been put on a human being till that wow. point. So that's the Guinness connection. Well, here's the thing. He was asking if it's there, and I said, look, no one from Guinness was there. Right, right. I just yeah, had yeah, two morons who were, like, egging each other on. <laughs> and... <laughs> Guys, he had, he had over 100 live squibs on him in one shot. Epic. That's crazy. I mean, when you think about By the way, I've, I've taken squibs. Like, right. I've been in a movie where, where I got shot, right? Yeah. And I had two squibs on my body. I felt like someone hit me with a ball-peen hammer in the dick. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it does not feel good. Like, oh, you're like man. that. And you're thinking, like, this is going to be badass. And then you're like, ow, <laughs> ow. Um, Kane had over a hundred on his Holy body shit. all over him. That's wild. And they're just popping off. And I'm telling you, 
He walked off set and was like, it was so badass. I'm like, oh, Kane. Kane the guy's Kane, an Kane. animal. He is He's an animal. Amazing. amazing. We've encountered him at uh, at, at like pretty much every yeah, con, but sure. like our first one, I had seen him across the bar and, and nobody else like knew who he was at the time. And I was like, that's Jason Voorhees like sitting over there. And I'm like, that's Kane Hodder. And they're like looking at me like, what? And they're like, like looking it up on their phones. And like our friend, like we've talked about it a bunch of times, but our friend tried to like order him a drink and he drinks these like specific drinks that are oh, kind of yeah. like a Long Island. And like they had to shut him off. But it was so funny. He just attacked like this girl's boyfriend. She came over and asked him and he like just went over mm-hmm. and started strangling him and fell on him that's in the booth. And this guy was that's like, oh, does. my God, like losing it. And I was like, this dude is still super gnarly. Yeah, and, then, and this and then, is yeah. long long past his heyday. And then a couple years later when we were at Mania, he picked up a prop when he was taking a mm-hmm. photo and the prop actually cut the, the person's neck. And there was, so there was an ambulance there and it was all crazy. And like, oh, yeah. Yeah, everyone's they, like, they oh, yeah. brought the prop to get signed. Yeah, and everyone's yeah. like, oh, I bet Kane did that. And like, sure as hell, it was Kane. Kane picked up a prop yeah. and went to yeah. go pose correct, like in a cool way and ended up cutting the, ki- the kid's neck. I was yeah, like, oh, so Jesus. Then they had, so now no one can bring a, a Freddy glove to Robert England. But the, guy, um, the guy's awesome. There was guys walking around like the FBI looking at everyone's tables to see if they had any sort of knives or anything and be like, yep. get them out of here. We don't want them anymore. Right. By the way, that became a national thing. Really? I bet, yeah. You can't go to any, because of that incident, you cannot go to any convention with wow. a, with any sharp objects anymore. Like cosplayers, all of it. They're, wow. they're all checked. All He's setting records all around, huh? Well, yeah. it's not him. It's that guy. Because I remember, no, he, yes. he cut him on the neck. He cut him on, uh, on, the, on the arm. Someone on else, arm. yeah, it was on oh, the floor. He was on the yeah. arm. I remember yeah. seeing him walk around with a big white bandage later. And I was like, that's the fucking guy. Because no yes. one, everyone thought it was like uh, a gag at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Adam, that so convention, ridiculous. that yeah. convention was so insane. And this is the Monster Mania one we're telling you about mm-hmm. in March. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. the fire department was like trying to like shut it down. Like they were like not letting people back in. There were so many people there. It was so cramped. I've never seen wow. so many people in a convention in my life i had like extra like wristbands that like a buddy had like given us that i just people were like trying to get in and stuff and i just gave them to like this couple and they're like super grateful but it was it, it was insane like people were all outside like we thought people were gonna start breaking windows there was like so many people wanting to be in there it was it we killed it that year it was like it was really good i think it'd be a great con for you i love it i, I it sounds amazing and i and i ha and i've and i've been told many a story about it including the one you guys just told <laughs> okay. the yeah. person who told me that story was harry manfernini mm-hmm. who was there he was there at that dimension and so he told me that story and i was like kane did what now right um but yeah it it changed the whole trend across the across the country for all the cons for every one of them you can't go in with 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 a blade jeans and tops from sears or spring you gotta date skins looking great because clearly seals ace ace that's There's always that one, one guy Funny. who brings an actual machete to a convention. Uh, what? Yeah, come uh, on! Yeah. Do good, a few more thing. cons and you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It gets interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's no, a good it's thing. I, I, it's a good thing I made that. I got that big Freddy glove signed before mm-hmm. before that whole thing. I made a uh, like a massive three foot tall Freddy glove that I had signed by uh, Robert England. It was great. Yeah, yeah. That definitely would not have been allowed in. When I was a kid, I actually did the first table read of A Nightmare on Elm Street for, for Wes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I played the Johnny Depp role in the first table read of the script. Oh, cool. And literally everybody sat around the table because Sean hated the script. Sean Cunningham hated that screenplay because Wes wanted Sean to produce the movie. And I remember after Wes left, Sean is just like, okay, what the hell is that about? Like, right, what, right. what? what is that? movie 
oh, I'm so scared. I'm asleep. Oh, scary. You know, I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> amazing. It always shows what a, what a soothsayer Sean Cunningham can be. Well, I think that's a good – so I think we could talk about Jason Goes to Hell mm-hmm. for the whole time. But bringing up Sean, like – and I think, like, a lot of people that listen to our podcast are, like, young creatives and people trying to, like, yeah. get into doing doing their stuff and, and, and sure. like, working on their craft. But, like, can we go back, like, way back and talk about how you got into whether it was theater or film or whatever and kind of how that sure. connection went to Sean and all and that And how stuff. you landed on horror. Mm, super interesting. Sure. So the way I started off, look, I you know, I was born into a family of all kind of theater creative people. So everybody, my dad, my dad was an architect and a space planner in, in, in New York City. So everybody was artistic in their own way. And so, so I was immersed in it. My whole family had been on Broadway, all of that. And when I was nine, my dad took me to see the Saturday morning showing of Star Wars because he had already seen it in Manhattan the night before and like drove to Connecticut the next morning. He was like, we're going to the movies right now. And so, which I love my dad for. I'm like, I'm like, you're, that was really cool. By the way, I mean, this is a guy who took me to see Fanny and Alexander when I was 11 um, and Gallipoli when I was 10 and, you know, all that jazz when I was, when I was 11, which was totally inappropriate. And it's still my favorite movie of all time. So, so he, he takes me to see Star Wars. I'm sitting there with my brother and my dad. And the, the second that Imperial Cruiser is coming after the Tantive Four, I gasped. Like, I just, and I said out loud, my dad's really funny about this. I said out loud, I went, I want to do that. That's awesome. Now, here's the thing. I was nine years old. So my dad thought I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> and I went, no, that. And he immediately took me from the movie theater. We, I got my first album that I got to choose, that I got to buy and choose, which was the soundtrack to Star Wars. I also got Kiss Alive 2 on the same day. Nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, got, um, I got my first book about special effects. So I was like, I was in, right? Yeah. Well, at the same time, my best friend in the world is this kid, Noel Cunningham, whose dad is Sean S. Cunningham. Now, all we knew about Sean is that Sean had made a porn movie. So where most kids were not allowed to play with Noel and be at Sean's house, gotcha. my parents like would let me juggle knives if I wanted to. So so I got to like hang out in Sean's house. And, and guys, this is true. Sean did make a full-on porn movie called Together. He discovered Marilyn Chambers, who's also from Westport, Connecticut. Yep. And Noel, my buddy, played Marilyn Chambers' love child as a baby in, in, in this movie? porn movie. Oh, oh yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, of course, Sean made, you know, Last House and Left, which is so much worse than a porn movie oh, yeah, as far yeah. as, like, shock value. Oh, yeah. So... Sean, um, I, I was sort of there while they were making Friday 13th, right? And I became kind of this, like, PA around Sean's uh, work. And I loved it. Like, I really, I loved it. I loved, I loved all the activity. I loved all the people. I became, you know, friendly with Steve Miner and with Sean's wife, Susan, who's a genius. And, of course, Wes and Tom Savini. So, I mean, I'm an 11-year-old kid hanging out with Tom Savini at Sean's house. You know, that was just like, that was just, by the way, the town that I lived in, Westport, I lived down the street from Paul Newman. Wow. I did play readings with Sandy Dennis and Neil Simon. I mean, like, that was just so like a crazy. normal thing, yeah. right? Jeez, I, sang, I, I sang every Christmas at, at Martha Stewart's house. That's wild. Um, and my favorite, my favorite of all these stories is there was a New Year's Eve where I'm with my, one of my closest friends, a guy named Trevor Cohen, who's a brilliant jazz musician uh, out of New York. He's a session player for everybody. He's just a genius. Awesome. 
and uh, Trevor was my was my musical director for a while for my theater company. And we're at his parents' house on the beach in Westport, Connecticut. And again, it's New Year's. I'm playing Trivial Pursuit with him, his family, my friends, and Meatloaf. Like a bat out of hell. And Ginger Baker. Time. Natural time. From Cream. <laughs> Okay, and by the way, like nobody blinked. Like it was like, right. yeah, we're we're playing Trivial Pursuit. I was just gonna say, is there, was there ever moments of like, this isn't normal? Like, no, it all was complete. I was Meatloaf's rock gardener for two years. That's wild. That's so cool. So like, <laughs> it's just it was just sort of. And and here's the thing. And by the way, Paul Newman kind of set the tone for Westport, which was if you went to Paul Newman and asked for an autograph. He turned away from you, you'd walk away, he wouldn't even look at you. Like, it wasn't a thing. If you came to Paul Newman and said, hey, can you pass me that tomato when you're at the grocery store? He'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, here you go. Right, right. So he he wanted to be your neighbor, not Paul Newman. Right. Right? Yeah. Yes. So that kind of makes sense. It totally makes sense. So yeah. here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm around there for, for Friday the 13th, and then by spring break, I was apprentice editing for Susan Cunningham. And here's the thing. Have you guys ever seen Spring Break? I don't no. believe so. Uh, no, okay. I don't think so. By the way, do yourselves a favor. Check it out. It's one of the worst movies ever made. Um, I love it. Also, I love it already. <laughs> right. But it's, by the way, it's the movie that unseated Return of the Jedi from the number one spot at the box office. Oh, interesting. As, by the way, as Friday the 13th unseated The Empire Strikes Back from the box office. Mm -hmm. So Sean unseated two Star Wars movies, back-to-back -back films, because they were originally going to be doing Red Dawn. Sean was supposed to direct Red Dawn, oh, and he had wow. cast me in the C. Thomas Howell role. And yeah. then he got this script for for this literally TNA wall-to-wall booby movie, yeah. right? And Sean was like, oh, this is going to make way more money. Forget that Red Dawn nonsense. <laughs> I love so Red Dawn. He go, it's, a, it's a great movie, it right? Is so good. Sean, Sean had no interest in a great movie. Sean had an interest in how do I make more money. Right, right. Yes. So here's this uh, th this movie that is truly, it's nothing but like penthouse pets, right, right? right? That's the whole movie, right? And it's dreadful. Like it's badly acted. It's dumb. The comedy's terrible. But there's so much flesh. I'm, I always say like I walked into the editing room a boy. I came out a man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that literally, my entire, all of my puberty happened in those few months watching that film. I'm like, I was like, hello. <laughs> so, um, so by the time, so I finished that up and then I created my first of two theater companies when I was 15 years old. And, um, and Sean was actually incredibly helpful to that. Like he was, he was really helpful in, in he, he gave the company money for the first show. Um, he was really cool. He like really supported supported us. He was very much a father figure to me at that point. He was he was terrific. That's awesome. um, and so I did theater from really I started in the theater when I was eleven. But I had my own company when I was fifteen to twenty one. And I, again, I lived in a part of the world where theater made money, like real money. Our high school, Staples High School in Westport, Connecticut, the high school pays for all the sports programs through the theater. Oh, cool. Like the theater company makes hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit right. every year that supports all the other programs. Like there's no schools where the football team gets paid for by the, the actors. No, definitely that not. It doesn't happen, you know, Yes, That's except cool. here, right? right. So they weren't messing around. It was like, it was, it oh was yeah. pretty high caliber for a high school. No, we, we were, there's a thing called the Moss Hart Award, which is a, co a collegiate award along the East, Eastern Seaboard. Mm -hmm. We won it every year in a row for, for multiple years until the point when they went, you can't come back anymore. Like wow. this is for colleges That's cool. and you keep killing the other schools and you're a freaking high school. What's in this little blue egg that can't...
Like the ordinary instant print, the extraordinary trim print lets you lift off the image to catch. Awesome. So, and you know, my, my mentor was a guy named Al Pia, who we lost just a few years ago, God rest his soul, but um, uh, amazing, amazing man who at 11 years old went through the, the book An Actor Prepares with me and truly took me step by step through the book until I understood it because I didn't know what the hell, I, it was like stereo instructions. Right. So I, I used the money that I made in theater to put myself through school at New York University at NYU mm-hmm. and I ended up winning Best Picture there for a comedy. Which at NYU nobody wins anything for a comedy. Right, like right. they they don't want to know you if you're not making a black and white drama with right. people sipping small cups of coffee at a cafe <laughs> and you know it's Smoking subtitled cigarettes. in French. They don't really want to know that you exist. Right. So I made this comedy, which by the way, so are you guys do, do you guys ever watch like uh, Reno Nine One One? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So Officer Dangle, Tom Lennon, the guy with the short shorts and the mustache, yeah, yeah. he was the lead of my student film. The second lead of the film <laughs> was Joe Latruglio from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who oh, plays wow. Andy Samberg's partner. Yeah. The girl in the movie was my girlfriend at the time. She She's a woman named Deborah Kaplan, who wrote and directed Can't Hardly Wait and Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, wow. Another, another guy in there is an Emmy-winning editor who's now cutting the documentary about Jason Goes to Hell. So, awesome. like, my, my student film, like, the number of careers that got launched from that thing That's was incredible. insane. So I win Best Picture. I get offered two jobs. One is with David Lynch and Mark Frost to write on season two of Twin Peaks. Awesome. And the other one is from Sean Cunningham, who had left East Coast, now lived in L.A. full time. And he calls me up and says, I saw you. I saw your movie. It was great. Uh, you want to come to L.A. and uh, be my bitch for a year and then I'll give you your shot. I could not have gotten on a plane quicker. Like, yeah. I ran to L.A. Wow. And look, I was always doing theater while I was in film school so that I was always able to pay off my debts. Right. So I left the East Coast. Itself. I did not have a dollar of debt when I left the East amazing. Coast. Incredible. But I had 300 bucks left and no driver's license. Oh, and I moved to Los Angeles. Yeah. Good plan. What a yeah. plan. It shows you like how quickly I ran out here, right? Yeah. So, so how somebody, are those hills hoofing it? <laughs> wait, wait, here's what's worse. Here's what's worse. I was I was a delivery guy for Sean and he gave me a 10 speed. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> because I had been a bike messenger in New York when I was going to school, right? I worked for a company called R. Greenberg in New York. So I worked on Goodfellas. You were Dave and Chappelle and half baked. To- absolutely. <laughs> The number of times I got hit by taxi cabs on that 10-speed bike, like, and I saw myself as, like, Kevin Bacon and Quicksilver, like, right. I'm so oh, cool, nice. and then, like, bam! So you know. cool. Uh, I was just a total dick. Wait, so, so Do you say Goodfellas? As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. You know when you see the titles go across the screen, they go, sh- 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 yep. and then they freeze? Yep. That's me. Oh, cool. That's awesome. me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, I worked on that for months. Um, oh, I actually, oh, it's funny. It's right at my desk. I always keep him here because it, it keeps me humble. One of my first jobs was animating this guy. No I have that. <laughs> I literally have that in my kitchen next to the Jolly Green Giant, like, from my yep. childhood. Hilarious. They gave me this as I as I left New York. That's, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So you know, the, and, so you did stop stop motion animation for Pillsbury. Yeah. yeah. That's right, so, so he's holding everyone, up the Pillsbury yeah, Doughboy. Yeah. Dough yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I keep because I'm looking at you guys. I, I forget that we're just we're just talking. But uh, yes, it's the Pop and Fresh Boy. Um, and uh, and it, the, the funny thing is, much like the animation on Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. you didn't actually manipulate a doll. There were hundreds of him. Right. Right. In all the different poses, so you were constantly replacing yeah, the doll. Thing. 
So yes. Crazy. Oh, yeah. So there were hundreds of, of pop and fresh <laughs> everywhere. Um, Going back, by the way, spring break, I remember yeah. that cover, but for some reason in my head, I'm like, did I see this? And I was, I was totally thinking of wet, hot American summer. Yeah. Right. Right. Is Which is again, like, is that like Porky's generation, like all just like the TNA movies of that. Like, yeah. But Porky's you know funny? is phenomenal. When you go back and watch Porky's, Porky's is an incredible movie. Oh, it's like, so, I mean, oh, yeah, it's so good. Favorites. Yeah, And you know what's amazing about Porky's when you consider that Bob Clark, who's a brilliant, way underrated director, Mm -hmm. he made A Christmas Story and Porky's in the same year. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's the same year those movies came out. That's awesome. Like, can you imagine you're that freaking good at your job that you create the the two best movies in two separate genres that have ever been made in the same year? (laughs) That's awesome. When you're on it, you're on it, though. Flow state, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You had me stuck on that. I'm still digesting here. And, and, and the fact that uh, you had Paul Newman, like, in Access. Because Cool Hand Luke has been one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, well, since it's one young. of the best movies of all time. Right? It's, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. This, sto- this story just sounds like a fairy tale. Like, it's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> so it's It's just like, yeah. oh, and then. This thread and then, keeps going. And then I just, you know, packed up and, and, and jumped to L.A. Yep. No, it's here. Here's the thing, you know, and and by the way, on the Paul Newman thing, just one really amazing, cool Mm -hmm. thing about him. So I would send him for our theater companies. I would send him invitations to shows and never expecting him to show up. But I would always send it. I'm like, what's the cost? You know, we'll we'll send him and Joanne Woodward a couple of tickets. Why not? Um, And we did. And he showed up a few times and would come backstage afterwards and talk to the cast. So cool. That's cool. Yeah, man. Like, that's the environment that I grew up in. And it was really, like, safe and and artful and amazing. And again, it was just like, it's funny. When you meet real creative people, and I'm not talking about these jackasses who, like, you know, I, I, I had the misfortune of working with Val Kilmer, right? I directed Val in a movie. Um, It's the single worst experience of my life. Um, He assaulted me on day six of the movie. He was drunk and or high every single day of the shoot. He was three to six hours late every single day to be on set. I mean, he... But by the way... That's too common a story. I mean, Val's right. the worst of the worst. Nobody's as bad as Val. Val right, is. Right. Val and he is has like a new a new documentary called Val or something that just came out, correct? Yeah. 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 And I have a lot of people who are calling me going like, oh, I feel so bad for him. I'm right. like, oh, I haven't seen it. Don't. I liked, I I liked one Val Kilmer movie, and, and mm-hmm. a lot of people probably don't even know it. It, it was called Felon. What about Tombstone? Oh, yeah. I, I know well, obviously, yes, Tombstone, yes. Uh, yeah. Tombstone's a... That's a given. Um, but yeah, Felon, for whatever reason, I, I really liked that movie. When I was in my early 20s, I was very angsty. So, mm-hmm. um, But I, I, I did really dig that movie. But like, I, what blew me away was like the amount of weight that he gained Ooh. like for Ooh. that movie. I didn't even realize it was him. Dude, he did that. He did Felon right after he'd done my film. Right after he'd done Conspiracy, he did Felon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in fact, my producing partner produced both those movies. Oh, yeah. Okay and had the same problems with Val that I did. Yeah. Um, here's Crazy. the thing, you know, look, it's terrible that he got cancer. That's awful. Yes. I don't wish that on anybody. That's right. terrible. That being said, I have no sympathy for this guy. Like, yeah. he, <laughs> the, I saw him do things to women that were horrifying. Oh, no right. one's talking about it. 
Right. They're all talking yeah. about like how sad this is. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. They didn't lift the this sheet up high enough. This is a bad dude. Right. This right, is a yeah. ba- well. He his he wrote the movie. He wrote the documentary. Right. Yeah. It's his okay. film. I'm like, oh, oh, he's pulling at the heartstrings at totally. his his own leisure. And, and by the way, he's an incredible actor, so he's very good at his job. Sure. He just doesn't respect his job. Right. And right. what I what I grew up with was this tremendous respect mm-hmm. for the work. So yeah, the, describing it as a safe place too, like that's huge. Like that's oh yeah, that's everything. Oh yeah, no. I, I when you say like it sounds like a very it's funny because that's you're the first person to ever say that to me, and it's funny because I go yeah, kind of was. That's super. Like cool. it, it kind of was timing. You had you had the perfect timing in the perfect environment. Like you yep. just that's so cool. You were in the best yep. age for movies, like oh as yeah, well. and it's oh, like yeah. like even going back to the Val Kilmer thing. Like like I would imagine you probably grew up on these movies as well. Like my first experience with him was in Willow. Yeah. Which I loved right. that movie, like sure. growing up, and and sure. you know, then you had Labyrinth and like the Dark Crystal and like all these like. But these dude, great I was movies. you know I was I was uh, I was a huge fan of his even from things like Top Secret, which is his very first film mm-hmm. out of out of uh, out of college, and then and then Real Genius, Real Genius, is amazing. which is amazing. Yeah. That sucks. Like that. Like. That like, he's a dick. Never meet your idols, <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. Like, uh, that's, that's the whole thing. But by the way, but destroyed. by the way, it, here's the thing. For every person I met that way, then there's like a Nick Cage. Right. Mm-hmm. Who's first guy to set, last guy to leave, total pro. You know, like for every for every one of these jackasses. And by the way, look, I've and I've worked for a lot of the jackasses. Like I worked with Kevin Spacey for a while, who by the way, with me, was great. Like he yeah. was totally sweet. However, I worked with him when I was 35. And my producer at the time said to me, he asked me, he's like, you're, you're over 30. I said, yeah. He goes, oh, good. You're past Kevin's expiration date. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, I'm what now? Oh, yeah. Right? But that's just kind that's yeah. just it. And, and, you know, I, 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 left, I left the comfort of this kind of warm, wonderful East Coast right. safety net to, to Los Angeles. To dirty, dirty L.A. Oh, it's so dirty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, I love it. It's my home now. It's freaking sure. amazing. Um, but but it, it really was. Like, guys, I mean, I was still, I was here when it was still sort of like cocaine on the, on the right. table at craft right. service. Like, Kellogg's has been making great for more people for more years with more cereals than anyone. It was still that when yeah. I got here. And so, so what, um, what age is it? So that's just after college. So you're like 20. You were 23 when you did Jason. Well, I was Hell, 21 right? when I got here. Got I, was, here. I just turned 21 when I first got to L.A. Yep. And I had a script with me for a movie called Johnny Zombie that mm-hmm. Dean Laurie had written in college. And I had developed it with him for about three years. And mm-hmm. we had we had done all the artwork for it. And it was a... It was a zombie horror comedy musical. Interesting. Okay? It was nuts. Uh, so I had the script, and this was going to be my first film. Like, this was my first feature, and I'd been working on it for years. And it's the simple story of, a, a, you know, this young kid, Johnny Dingle, who lives across the street from his best friend, this girl, Missy McLeod, mm-hmm. who is the sheriff's daughter, who they've been best friends since they were little kids, but he has fallen in love with her over his lifetime, and he feels ordinary. He's not a nerd. He's not a cool kid. He's one of the masses. He just right. is mm-hmm. invisible. He's ordinary. Man. And he wants to be special for one night. And he chooses on prom night, I'm going to make my stand. I'm going to be special. I'm going to ask Missy McLeod to the, to the prom. Mm-hmm. And then on the night that he makes that move, he is shot and killed in a convenience store holdup protecting her. And so he's dying in her arms. And as he's dying, he looks up at her and says, want to go to prom? And she's like, uh, 
okay, sure. Yeah. And then he dies. And a couple days later, his desire to go to the prom and the fact that he is buried on a bur- an, an Indian burial site, yeah. he rises from the grave to go to the prom. That's but awesome. they tell him, don't leave the cemetery. There's there's all these zombies walking around the cemetery playing Pinochle and like they live a life inside right, the right. confines. <laughs> because if you leave the confines, your body will deteriorate in three days. Yeah, unless it. you eat the flesh of the living, which this Johnny finds completely disgusting. Right. But he has to go to the prom well he leaves problem is the prom is in five days so he's going to deteriorate unless he eats people, right? right? This is like Pet Cemetery meets Little Monsters meets some <laughs> totally zombie like adaptation, yeah, which is right? like I need to see this. Back to the future. Well, here's the thing. So, so the what what the reason we had done this? So Dean and I were in college in the late '80s in New York, mm-hmm. and it was during the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had lost a ton of friends. And again, I had tons of friends on Broadway my whole growing up. So there were just people just fucking just dying. I mean, guys. You know, this whole COVID thing has made me have like major deja vu back to that point where I'm like, that's what New York was like. It was just dead men walking. Well, here's the thing. The idea was that these zombies left the cemetery to follow Johnny. Like they saw his bravery and were inspired by it. And all they wanted to do was go home to their families. Right. Well, they would go home and like sit at the dinner table with their families and like start eating the soup. But the soup was falling out of their necks, right, you know, right. a la American Werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. And families were screaming and, you know, shoving them out of the house and throwing them out and then, you know, coming after them with torches and the whole thing. Right. Well, that we were making an AIDS analogy. We were going like, here's all these kids who go home to their parents and their parents don't want to have anything to do with them and think they're contagious and Mm, they're going to catch this and all this stuff. So we were doing this kind of like really cool political movie, even though you never knew that's what we were doing. Right. Right. Because it's a Mm -hmm. zombie comedy musical for the love of God. Yep. So I, I had gotten Roger Corman's wife interested in the project Mm -hmm. and she had requested the script from me because I kept crashing all of these charity events because I had a lot of friends in catering in LA so I would dress in a tuxedo slip in through the kitchen and start dancing with female executives and pitching them my movie so I get Roger Corman's wife like totally interested in, in, in making this movie. Well, I immediately tell Noel this because I know if I tell Noel, Noel will immediately rat me out to his dad, right. which he did. Yeah. The next day I come in, I'm making a photocopy of this script for Johnny Zombie. And Sean walks in, sees the script, goes, what's this? I said, oh, it's a movie that I want to make. He grabs it off my desk, walks into his office, slams the door. <laughs> 90 awesome. minutes later... Door swings open. I hear Marcus. By the way, if I sound like uh, Batman's the Penguin, yeah. whenever I do an impression of Sean Cunningham, it's because Sean Cunningham is the supervillain, the Penguin. That's he awesome. is. I'm just telling you that's who he is. Perfect. So I go in to see Sean, and he says, I hate this script, but I love the title, and I think it's a funny idea. So I'm going to give you a million and a half. You'll go shoot it in Connecticut. And I was like, what am I doing now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Sick. And he says, but I hate the script, so I'm going to fire your writer and get a new writer in here. And I went, then I'm not selling it to you. I won't do it. And again, only a 21-year-old idiot right. says that. Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to stand by my friend. Yeah, totally. Um, but I did. I said, look, I said, put no... By the way, I was living in my car at this point. In a car I couldn't drive, by the way. Yeah, you didn't um, have your license, right? No, I did not have the license yet. I was in a 63 VW 
bug. Yes. Nice. Canary yellow, the kind of car, like, it, the entire car is made of metal, so, like, like you get into an accident, the car is fine, you're dead, and right. they just hose it off and give it to the next guy. <laughs> like, and by the way, it's the exact same car. I was going to say, Ted Bundy drove. It, yes, yes, it's very Ted Bundy. It's <laughs> yeah. very Ted Bundy. But it was the exact same car that Kevin Bacon drives in Footloose. And right. I was like, wow, yes. first first Quicksilver, now this. I worked on the first Friday 13th. Like, I can't get, I am one degree of Kevin yeah. Bacon. So now you guys all have one degree of Kevin Bacon <laughs> in the game. Um, so I, uh, so I'm living in my car and I said to Sean, I said, look, I said, put Dean and I up in any flea bag motel you want to put us up in. Give us six weeks to rewrite. We'll do whatever you want to the script. Just yeah. give us notes. Tell us what you want to do. And shockingly, he agreed to that. And it was great because I got out of the car. Like, right. suddenly I was living in a hotel. He respected you. Kind of. Like, I even think... if he didn't want to show it, like, he respected you. Because, you know what? To your point of only a 21-year-old, only a 21-year-old would be that hungry. And he knows, like, he's going to be a go-getter. He already knew that about you. Whether he, you knew it or not, he, he already knew flop. that about you. And he didn't flop he, on your buddy, so you knew you yeah. had integrity. Yep. Yes. Yes. That's you true. said a lot that's about true. who you were at a very young age. Whether he was not going to give you that acknowledgement, but I, I, I'm willing to wager a large bet that that's how he was feeling in that. And I don't even know this man because that's, that's how I would well, feel. It, you're pro I think you guys are right. I think you're accurate. Um, and and it, it what's what's sad is that when money got involved with Sean is when Sean became who he really is. Right. Which is which is very sad mm -hmm. because he was like a father to me. Right. Um, yeah. And so I so we we developed this movie. He ends up loving the script so much so that he's like, okay, I don't want to self finance this. I want to get a studio to yep. put this put this movie together. And so we did. This is the crazy story. So, so because of my theater background and because of Sean's theater background. Wait, Sean, this, is, this is where it gets crazy now? Now, it, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, wait, you're, now you're going to hear some names that you're going to be like, get, get out of here. Like, <laughs> it's awesome. impossible. So instead of sending the script to people to read the script, because first thing, the movie is so insane that it was like, you go to read this, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get what we're trying to do. Right. So I was like, why don't we read it to them? And he's like, what do you mean read it to them? I said, why don't we do what we always do in development, which is do table reads right. and invite executives from these companies into the reads and actually invite them the same time. Yeah. So they have to look at each other knowing they're all here to bid on this one thing. 31 So we brought in a few studios to watch a reading of Johnny Zombie. So our casting people who also did Jason Goes to Hell is a guy named Barry Moss and, and Julie Hughes, Hughes Moss Casting. This guy is like a Broadway legend. He he died in 2016. Amazing, amazing man. Um, did you guys ever watch the Cosby show? Yeah, of no. course. Okay, so he cast the entire Cosby show, the Whoa. entire run of the show. And Sick. do you remember the kid Peter, Rudy's friend who never spoke, the little little heavy set kid who yeah, like never yeah. spoke? Peter had a dad. In one episode, Peter's dad comes to pick him up and he's a short, heavy set guy who never speaks as well it's an amazing <laughs> moment that is barry moss that's oh, my cool. casting director that's he awesome. played that part because he didn't have to talk right, he didn't right, want to act right. in it but they put him in right okay <laughs> so barry puts together this cast of nothing but broadway stars and i mean guys i had tony award winners sitting at the table to read johnny freaking zombie <laughs> that's awesome. okay <laughs> but the best part is that dean and my next door neighbor for three years in college played johnny and that was a pre-siren live adam sandler oh no shit awesome. 
Adam That's Sandler sick. is the first Johnny in Johnny Zombie. That's amazing. So we run the thing, and the executives love it. We get into a bidding war between New Line and Disney. Yeah. And I am looking at Sean begging him, please sell it to New Line. Please sell it to New Line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem is they backed up a literally a truck of money from Disney. Right. And Sean went, I'm going with Disney. <laughs> so now they're making this huge movie, right? Yeah. And we go in for the first meeting about the script. And truly, guys, this is Disney in the early 90s when it was the unhappiest place on earth. It's right. the Katzenberg mm-hmm. years. It was bad. Yep. So you go in and there's this long conference table, like something out of a movie, with nothing but suits smiling at you. And you're like, wow, what is, what the hell is this? I mean, it feels like like a Kubrickian sort of thing. Right, right. So we sit down for this meeting and they're like, we love this film. We're fast tracking it. We want to get this film into theaters immediately. We only have one note. And we're like, one note? We've been smelling each other's BO for six weeks rewriting this thing. Yes, what's your note? They say, yeah, can you get rid of the zombies? <laughs> and we're like, the whole movie. What? It, yeah. No, it's called... It's called Johnny Zombie. They said, yeah, about that. Could he seem, I don't know, like look less dead and more like tired? (laughs) Johnny Um, exhausted. I ran back to our offices. I ran back to our offices. I was like, they're going to Mickey Mouse this movie. I'm out. I don't want to do this. I don't have anything to do with this movie. This is a disaster. So at that point, I said, Sean, I just made you a ton of money. You owe me a movie. Give me a movie. Yeah. And Sean at that point said, you know, Adam, the best thing about you is that you're the world's biggest nudge. <laughs> and it's funny because at first I was insulted, but he's right. That's it is sort of my mutant superpower. Um, so I said, yeah, that's nice, Sean. What's the movie? Right. And he said, well, New Line is buying Jason Voorhees from Paramount. I was like, "Uh uh-huh. He says, if you can figure out a way to get that fucking hockey mask out of the movie, I'll let you write and direct it. And I was like, yeah, and I'm like, I am, I'm running around so excited. And suddenly I stop and I'm like, wait, what now? I got to get rid of what? What am I doing? It didn't hit me that like, get rid of the hockey mask. It's like, oh, that's wild. Which brought forth the most iconic fucking cover of all time, which I have right here. (laughs) I had to go get it from my room earlier when we were talking. That is awesome. That is awesome. Here you go, the old brick slab. This isn't this isn't the you know fancy cover one, but it's in my VHS collection. Now is that that's the unrated cut, right? This is the special collector's edition. Yes. You can do all kinds of things with me that you can't do. Tots, political posters, and the miniseries Shogun, all in the new issue of TV. Yeah, it, it um, here's the thing, the craziness and why New Line had me do the movie, why they wanted all the extra gore. Mm-hmm. I mean, overseas, the only thing they ever saw was the gory version. They never saw the, the cut version. Right. Mm-hmm. But in this country, New Line had a, a, a plan, an evil plan, which is what they do. It's the first movie New Line released with a cut and an uncut version of the first time on VHS. Oh, cool. It was the biggest release New Line had ever had of a VHS in the, in, in the company's history. Interesting. Because every mom and pop shop now wasn't buying one copy of the movie. They had to buy two. That's cool. So they what, doubled their so money everywhere. The, 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 the uncut version or the first version? Well, here's what's amazing. Be- because of Blockbuster, Blockbuster did a typically sleazy, disgusting, family-friendly Christian thing in that they bought the they bought the unrated box 
and put the rated copies oh. in the unrated box. They nerfed it. Nice. Yep. So, uh, they yeah. They fucked so you with a smile. <laughs> they really did, man. And it was Blockbuster, so you're like, whatever. All right, that, that's where the money is, so got it. But what was great about that, though, is that because more of the unrated copy, the more of the rated copy was out there, mm-hmm. finding the unrated copy became this, like, cool thing. Hunt, yeah. Right. So suddenly, when they had sell-through prices on these movies, people were jumping at that unrated that's cool. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. So, but here's the thing. Johnny Zombie um, came out one week before Jason Goes to Hell. No wow. way. It I did. I gotta check out Johnny Zombie now. It's I called know. My Boyfriend's Back. Right. My Boyfriend's Back. My Boyfriend's Back. It is literally one week before Jason Goes to Hell that no came way. out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's not the movie we wrote. That's for sure. Right, right. That right. is yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's Poor Dean Lurie okay. got, like, trapped on that movie. What a story. That's I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a shift here because now I'm like... Go for it. I'm very intrigued here. One, how did you come across us when we came out with that Jason Goes to Hell pin? Because that's one of the craziest stories for us. Well, I got to tell you, I think it was Instagram. I think it was on Instagram yep. where, where I first saw the pin. Mm-hmm. And I flipped because you what you guys got to know, again, and this is what we talked about really early on tonight before we, we, we went live, I think. Mm-hmm. In regards to the conventions and all that, I had moved on from Jason Goes to Hell. When Jason Goes to Hell first came out, there was not a wave of hatred. It didn't happen. Right, okay? yep. There were people who didn't dig the movie or got pissed off about you know me killing you know b- b- me getting rid of the hockey mask because jason Voorhees is in the entire movie right. the whole mm-hmm. movie he just doesn't look like a linebacker with a hockey mask mm-hmm. but it's the same guy right here's the thing there were a lot of haters great but the internet wasn't a thing in 1993 mm-hmm. so you had a couple nasty letters to the editor of fango you also had people who loved the movie right who mm-hmm. sent letters to fango right mm-hmm. and yeah. for a friday 13th film it was actually well reviewed we got I got a rave in the New York Times. Yeah. Like, when you get the Times and you're a Friday the 13th film? Rock and roll. So, yeah. So, I had gotten, and, and I remember the, the, the weekend it came out, The Fugitive had just come out. Great, yep. great movie. So, great movie, right? Mm-hmm. So, there was no way that Friday the 13th was beating Harrison Ford. Like, right. it was not going to happen. But mm-hmm. the cover of Variety was, number one spot goes to Fugitive, rest of box office goes to hell. That's awesome. That's <laughs> and that's in my that office awesome. to this day. Incredible. Like that's an amazing. Like I was like, I will take it. Yes. Um. So that wave of hate really didn't happen, and I got offered like every horror sequel in the business. Mm-hmm. I got you know Pumpkinhead two, mm-hmm. Leprechaun back two to hood, yeah. uh, Amityville ninety seven. Like it was all these movies with part numbers, right? And mm-hmm. I went, I, I just said no to everything. I was like, really? I don't want to be the guy. Yeah. You know why? Because I knew a few directors that had just gone down that rabbit hole and then they, they were never seen again. Like okay. guys like Anthony Hickox, who's a yeah. really talented dude, yeah. but just made part number movies after right. that. I was like, yeah. I want to do original stuff. Like I want yes. to make cool new stuff. Mm-hmm. I, also I would have offered, loved, yeah. I would have loved to have seen you do what you would have done with Pumpkinhead too, because Pumpkinhead is one of my all time favorite movies. And for the past, like, 18 years, I have to watch that on Halloween night. I have to. Well, I got to tell you, here's what's happened with Pumpkinhead. So they offered me the movie. Mm -hmm. I read the script. It was a little bit of a mess, but not bad. Like, I was like, okay, we can do something with this. And I said, okay, these are the kinds of people I wanted to cast. I wanted to bring Stephen Williams back with me. The movie took place in the bayou in Louisiana. That was the script, right? Right. Yep. They wouldn't let me cast anybody black. Really? No one. 
No one. I could not yeah, have black bizarre. actors in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And the reason was black Especially for the setting, that's bizarre. Right. They said black doesn't sell foreign. I was like, you're making a movie about the Louisiana Bayou, Louisiana, about right. voodoo. <laughs> right. Yes. And I can't bring black people into the movie. <laughs> that's Are yeah. you out of your minds? Yeah. So I'm the one who suggested the director who did the movie, Jeff. I was like, he should do this. He's great. He's a great director. He'll yeah. give you a really good product. And I said, I got a great DP for you. You guys need to meet. They hired Bill Dill, my African-American cinematographer from Jason Goes to Hell. Good. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, at least I got somebody of color on this movie, whether that, you know, at least it's behind the screen. So it can't. The sequel wasn't bad for you again. No, it's not a bad. Blood Wings is okay, And remember, K&B did it. Yeah. So I was there. There are shots of me with Pumpkinhead at K&B because I was going to do the movie. Right. And when they said when they when they said this to me by casting, I was like, no, man, no, in good conscience, I can't do it. And by the way, this is before anybody gave a crap about being politically correct. Right. Right. I was like, and again, it's not even about political correctness. It's about telling a story with some with authenticity integrity. i'm right. like what yeah what are we doing you're more you're you at your morals were there like you're like I, this is my line and like i don't want to go over that yeah. and i think that's i mean the, again back to what adam was saying integrity wise like it's just like you're not gonna budge on what you wanted to do and and you were uh for lack of better terms young and dumb enough to not <laughs> give a fuck right and I what they had to fuck. say so i was just like like everything that we're about is that punk rock aspect of things yeah. of just like you know like fuck you we're doing it the way that we want to do it yeah. and uh you know in, in the second you start flexing on that it becomes like it, it spirals downward like anything you give an right. inch and then, it, and then now all of a sudden you're you're going in the complete opposite direction and now what was your passion is going to a place where it's going to die right totally so, totally. I, and I by respect the way, that so and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is such a long-winded story, but it does get yeah, to the great. point of what, why I came across you guys. Yeah. So I love that movie. I'm. I, I am a fan of my own film. I think it's a good movie. It is not my favorite of the franchise. Part six is my favorite of the franchise, flat out. Uh, how do you want to proceed? Extreme care, asshole. Just I'm is. part five. I'll give you half, but I need half for later. Well, awesome. <laughs> so with you, five, you know what's great about Weird. part five? Part five is a dirty movie. It is. Like, that is a movie with dirt under its fingernails. That's what's yep. great. That's the, it's the sleaziest of them, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, that's a cool, that's a cool movie because it's so angry and right. ugly and dirty. So check it out. I think you, I, it was either part five was our first Friday the 13th pin that we that, did or our second, but uh-huh. it was part five in your movie where the, and we, and we got a lot of flack over this too, because everybody loved Loves part four. Ted, hey, Ted, where the hell's Corkscrew? Like everybody's a part four fan, right? Yeah. And so it's like we yeah. were like, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't I don't want to do part four. I don't want to do mm-hmm. one, two, or any of these things. Like we're gonna do five, and then when we did yours, like it blew up. And here's the thing: if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. right. And we right. and Adam have said that from the beginning. So like fuck so the keyboard true. warriors. And we got like I remember this dude came on and like talked shit to us about Adam took like a clip out of your film and he put rat knife across the back of the letterman jacket. Like yeah. he like photoshopped it in it. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, it was still. Oh, I love that. And it's still on our, if you scroll deep in our Instagram, it's there. But like this guy came on and he was like, he was like, oh, like this company did it better. He thought we made the jacket. Like that's how good Adam's little rendering was in Photoshop that he thought we actually made a, a, a rat knife jacket. And he like got offended because some other like horror company had done a Letterman jacket. And we thought it was like the funniest thing. We were just laughing our asses off about it. But you came in and it was so funny. We're, we were like at this point in time in the business, like we were in 
in an attic in in Adam's parents' house. We used to say we refer to ourselves as the gremlins in the attic. Like right. we had this like cool like our friend Mark drywalled this attic and like did it like we had a sick studio up there and that's where Rat Knife began. Like uh, and, and we had a lot of fun up there and we were going through orders and we're calling it off and, and we had a video guy working with us at the time as a buddy of ours that was cutting up. He actually chopped up. Uh, I I believe he did do a Jason Goes to Hell one. He like did. he chopped up like his own trailers like from things from uh -huh. movies and he was very talented at this Super and we we're calling out the orders and we got to you and we we're like like adam marcus and we we're just at this point we had gone through so many orders that like we we're just sending off names and like he was like wait what did you say he's like adam marcus and we all kind of looked at each other and he was like holy shit and like we were all like kind of like holy shit and he's like like it was like silent and we were like so stoked about it he's like that's the director of, of jason goes to hell and we were like flipping uh, we out had a, we had a little mini party during yeah because that was our first year in business so like right. you were you literally set the bar like right there we hadn't, <laughs> we hadn't done any conventions or anything like at this point so we were just like super like we were like wow someone gives a shit about our artwork like it was like really cool and then like we i hand wrote a letter like saying that we are fans and i slipped it in oh, there yeah. on like no, a no, piece I of printer paper i still have it <laughs> i was I like so stoked and i was like yeah. we got to play this cool like i don't want to be like idiots about it or whatever yeah. like just let them know that we know and then you came back and you bought another pin and oh, you dude, bought I, a, the I, graveyard I, shift pin yes because my best friend john esposito wrote yeah. graveyard shift i was literally on the phone with him just before i got on with you guys tonight. oh that's great just that just, we're doing a movie together so literally yeah. just before that's that awesome. was so huge like for me because like graveyard shift was another one that was like huge and it's so funny because i became friends with you on instagram and my name on instagram was tucker cleveland and nobody gets it right. you know it was the rat exterminator in graveyard shift yep. yeah. and yeah, like it is. rat knife rat exterminator like i was like i thought i was being super clever and no one figured it out and it's like still to this day on halloween i get i get uh notification from adam marcus wishing uh a happy birthday which That's is awesome. like i fucking love that and it's like yeah it's the craziest thing of all that we've met everybody like at this point and and it's mm -hmm. like you are still the standout so we were like so stoked to get you on this well, episode to know, and get you on I, the on someone the else told me about the pin someone had oh, told cool. me that there's a jason goes to hell pin yeah. and again i had a you know career i was doing my thing i wasn't right. i wasn't yeah. thinking about jason goes to hell like it wasn't it just wasn't a thing that i thought about every day in my life yeah of course and yeah. suddenly that pin you have to remember there had been no merchandise for so long. Mm -hmm. There had been the McFarland figure right after the movie. I yep. consulted with Sideshow on a 12-inch doll. They were great. And then Mezco did a figure, which yeah. is terrific. Mm -hmm. And it's like like the holy grail of, of Jason so figures. Sick, yeah. Like, to get that thing is crazy. Yeah. So I had a fan send me one because I could not find oh, one. Uh, it was, like, yeah. impossible to get, right? Amazing. So when that pin dropped... And a buddy of mine said, it's there. They're going to sell out. Like, these guys sell out really quickly. I've been and we never bring them stuff. back. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I cannot let that happen. I got to get some of those. That's awesome. I immediately, and I wrote to you guys. I, I wrote. Adam, like, you got the last one. Yeah. Like, you ordered the very last one before it sold out. I literally remember saying, Adam Marcus killed Jason. Like, yeah. literally, like, you you put Kill the sword through Jason's heart. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it was fucking insane. Like, that that still blows my mind to this day. And, like, we were so stoked. We literally did a second one mm -hmm. just, like, to put in that mystery one just so we could get enough for you and your crew. Yeah. Because we don't bring any of our stuff back. It's all limited to right. 50. So when you bought it, I was like, I was like, oh, man, we're going to get sued for this. Like, we only, <laughs> like, made 50 of these things. We're going to get sued for it. And you were, like, so stoked. And you said one of my favorite ender lines of an email you just said later creator 
Yeah. I thought that was the coolest fucking thing ever. I was like, this is the coolest guy ever. You wrote later creator Adam Marcus, and I was like, I fucking love this guy. This guy is fucking awesome. And then like we were just like email pen pals like throughout the years yeah. Oh, yeah. on, and I was like, you know what? I bet we can get him on this show. Like we're gonna get him on this. Podcast. And I lo- look, I I gotta tell you, I love what you do in in a in now what is you know uh, probably a pretty congested field. Yeah, definitely. Of doing this kind of art. Very. You, when you guys were doing it, it was not. It exactly, was really yeah. unique and interesting, and like nobody was doing this. Here's the thing: in in a cluttered field, you guys, for my money, have always stood above the rest. Oh, thank always you so much. appreciate that. That means a it's lot. just true, man. You you get what you. It's guys a labor are, of love. Like it's it's, it's just paying tell, homage. We don't but, make much. Out but of here's it. the thing: you can tell. That's the whole point. Totally. Like, yeah. When any of this stuff becomes corporate, you just feel the like. Ugh, oh yeah. For it. Sure. You know? No. Kodak introduces the extraordinary. Kodak lift off the image. For sure. And you guys, like, there was an authenticity to it. And I could tell when I got the pin, I was like, no, no, these guys are the real deal. They're fans. Like, this is <laughs> yes. a fan who made this. 100%. We were sitting watching the movie while we're doing it, like, while we're packing the orders. Like, it was a routine. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we're just going to make this to make money off of it or anything right. else. Like, we've never got in this to make money. Like, we just wanted right. it to be a self-sustaining machine and, like, mm-hmm. just be able to keep creating cool shit. Yeah. So when you were said later creators, I'm like, that's exactly what we are. Like, we <laughs> yeah. literally just create for the fans we're not getting rich like you know like we could get slapped at any point in time for the stuff that we've done but we're just like hey adam coined this a while ago and he called them uh little bite-sized pieces of art and Mm -hmm. that's what we do yeah simple as that and and it's for the movies that we love and if other people don't love it we don't give a shit yeah and just so you know like it all sits on my desk all (laughs) your stuff is on my desk to this day you tweeted we didn't find it until like a year and a half later but you had tweeted like your director like clapboard right with the pins and like i think adam came across it or something and like you google rat knife that's like the the first result is adam's picture of of like the the clipboard and like all the pins spread out super cool yeah and like to me like that was like you know like it's not making a million bucks or anything like that was making it i was like i was like this is it like we just did something super cool and it touched you and then you told me like you gave it to john esposito and like he he was like super excited about it he sobbed that's what you told me yeah he like he like a tear rolled down his face and i was like got all teary-eyed he was like he he called me when i sent it because i I didn't tell him about it i just sent it oh that's rad (laughs) and i was like and he he got so emotional he's like this is because again john's another guy who gets so much shit for that movie and he yeah. was a kid when he wrote. He was in his mid twenties when he wrote that movie. I love that. And I also you know, have that on VHS in my room right now. <laughs> the the problem with the horror genre, um, even though we have this incredible fan base and they are absolutely the best fans in the world, mm-hmm. the problem is they're begging. They're always begging you to do something different. We right. want different. We want new. We want more. We want exciting. We want, yep. And then you do exactly what they're asking, and they go, "No, this isn't like the other thing." Exactly. Why yeah. is it different? Right. And you're like, man, come on. Yeah. You, you are preaching to the choir right now because we have gotten that throughout the duration of us being business. We've just come up on a half a decade. And every time we, we put out these limited things, which you know, you know, at that point in time, yours was, yours was one of 50. Yeah. And make more you need to do more of this blah blah and then if you make more people don't buy them or it's not limited it's not cool we flexed once and then we were like fuck that we're never doing it again we're doing this for for us we're doing the movies that we want to do like we're like everyone's doing this this and this we're gonna do slaughter high yeah like yeah we're gonna do tourist trap god help those who get caught in the tourist trap
that tour strap was our first pin, nineteen seventy nine. Gorgeous, yeah. And uh, it's it, a gorgeous uh, pin. Thank I you. Like we we reinvented it again because that first one, I, I, people like it. To me, I was like, it looked like chicken scratch on there. I, I given up art because like, you're the guys who made it. I get it. I, I gave it. up art for five years, and then we came back and and did another rendering of it, which I was much happier with. But like, you know, tour strap's one of my favorite movies of all time. Adam had never even seen it at that point. We've yeah. talked about this in previous podcasts, and I was like, listen, this is my stipulation. We're doing tour strap for the first pin. Yeah. It needs to be done. And then it was just, that's at the bar though. It was like, we're going to do the obscures. We don't need to do the part fours and like, you know, the yeah. part one and two of Halloween. Like we're going to do Jamie Lloyd from part four. Well, I, th like, I think like you know, one, of the, one of my favorite parts of Rat Knife, and me and Garrett have talked about this before, but the idea that, and like just how Garrett said, I'd, I'd never seen Tour Strap. And like, he was like, oh, let's do Tour Strap. And I saw it and I was like, yeah, we're definitely Discovery. doing that. That was fucking amazing. So good. But so it's good. like, when we do these pins, like the coolest part is just like the, our, our small fan base are like 7,000 followers or whatever. If we can like convince a couple of young kids or some of our followers mm -hmm. who have never seen a, a, a Slaughtered High or a Tour Strap or a Jason Goes to Hell, like if they sit down because of us, because we kind of like lit a little spark, like that's yeah. the coolest part. And then like they come back and they're excited because they, they just found a new movie that they love. They want to buy the merchandise and then now they're now they're engaging with the franchise or the, the work in, in whatever way they can. But I think that's like yeah. the, one of the coolest parts of doing this stuff is just like 100%. kind of like unveiling some of these 20 year old movies to a new audience and like and having something that they can uh, kind of purchase and, and represent the brand of tangible you know I mean? item. Yeah. yeah. Look, I love the culture of art around film. Like I find, <laughs> I find this stuff like you know the whole Mondo thing and yep, and, sure. and 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 Kill all it. of these companies that are creating around movies. The problem is like even a Mondo who I remember they did a screening of Jason Goes to Hell maybe six seven years ago mm -hmm. um, for their Tuesday Night Terrors, mm -hmm. yep. and it was the only time that the Austin Tuesday Night Terror had to add a second night oh, cool. because they sold out awesome. in record time. They had tons of people who wanted to see it. So they did a Thursday. Well, I found out about it on the Tuesday that they were doing, yeah. right? And someone had sent me the ad that they had written, almost like a review to right. tell people about the movie. And the review was so amazing. I was like, oh my God. Like it was the best review I ever had because it was somebody who got the movie. Yeah, totally. Where they were like, you know, this is like a teenage heavy metal dream yeah. of, a, of a Friday the 13th film. Like totally got what we were trying to trying That's to accomplish awesome. and so i so i called alamo draft house and i was like guys um who is it yep. who's the guy who wrote this i want to talk to him because yeah. you guys are showing my movie and i wanted to you know and so he gets on the phone with me and i said look i said um you guys are in austin i can't get there this week i'm shooting I'm, i was i was shooting something and i mm -hmm. said but I would love to write a message if you want to read it to the audience before the movie. That's awesome. Here's the thing. Even Mondo now has become very kind of corporatized. Yeah. 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 And I have a ridiculous collection of Mondo posters mm -hmm. because I just love Same. art. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. such an art freak, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. And I'm sure if you guys chase any of those things, of you get on the, uh, you know, you, you, you wake up, you wake up right at the moment. And in LA, it's like I wake up right, right. when they're going to yeah. drop. It's gone. I'm at my computer and 32 seconds later, it's yeah. gone. Bots, bots, man. Yeah. It's yeah. done. And you're like, damn. And then you look on eBay and there it is for five times the price. And I'm like, yeah. that's not the point of this. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The point of this is that don't you want to get to an audience of people who actually appreciate the like right. who want to frame it and put it in their home or put exactly. it in their office and look at it all the time like that's what i love it for for sure you know it's a double-edged sword it totally is man like it's the tough. more popular you get yep. the yeah. more it becomes this this thing about money and yeah. and, and yep. thing about and again the, right and here's the thing the limited aspect to what you guys create immediately makes it worth something right, like, right. yeah and you guys know that and that's oh, yeah, why people sure. jump on it which 
which or Jason which goes to Hellpins sense. are worth a shit ton of money. Yeah. yeah, people are people are seeking them out. Those and the Part Fives, the two that you know everyone. If you said this, you know every keyboard warrior out there is gonna be like, yep. Part Five sucks. Roy Burns sucks. Like you know yeah. this that and everything else, and they're gonna go through and like you know make jokes. But it's like they're also probably the same ones that are gonna go on there, and they're mm -hmm. they're making the jokes because they're pissed because they couldn't get it. Right, right. Well, so look, it's like, know, like a few years ago when uh, I had two fans who reached out. Oh, this was three years ago on my birthday two fans on facebook created the jason goes to hell page right the oh, cool. uh, jason goes to hell the final fan page right mm -hmm. awesome and which was awesome right and i, I was like these. oh i was like what a nice like what a nice thing like yeah, the, yeah. you know my birthday that's cool thanks and you know and i try to be available to every fan all the time even the ones who hate the movie yeah. I will have the conversation. I will go down the rabbit hole with you, and I'm never going to be upset with you for hating. I, like, right, it's right. cool. So these guys are the ones who, for years, people have been asking me to do a documentary about the movie. Yeah. I love I, that I, these are happening. Oh, I can't wait. I Dude, love that these are happening so many years later. It happened with Fright Night. It happened with Monster Squad. Yeah, it's happening with that, Jason Goes to Hell. I fucking love it. Have you guys seen the the the, uh, the Monster Squad one? Yeah. Well, Squad Man, Guards. That is a yep. beautiful documentary. Yes. I can't that is a beautiful doc. We actually like we're we're in touch with the people that did the Fright Night one, and he sent us some like Peter Vincent like action figures, which were really cool. But yeah. what was cool is when the Monster Squad doc was like happening. Um, Sean mm -hmm. from the Monster Squad. Um, mm -hmm. God, what the heck is his name? I can't think of us off my head right now it's gonna drive me crazy he, and he, he's he someone sent him one of our pins I, he poor guy i can't even think of his name he just he yeah. just had like a heart attack or yeah, something yeah he's sick like, he's like really yeah he, there was a there was a gofundme for him and, yes and andre gower andre gower yes, yes. Yeah. andre gower like reposted like one of our pins and like like to me i was like, I, I, like oh my god first it was you and then it was him and i'm like I'm like, this is what we got into it for. We're just fans, like, making little tiny things, like, you know, for other fans, and, and hopefully people like it, and if they don't, like, who gives a shit? You know, like, we're going to make it anyway. But, like, it's just, it's incredible, like, the reach that that it's become, and, like, now that there is this resurgence, like, because, like, to you, like like you said earlier in the episode, you forgot about Jason Goes to Hell, like, you moved on, which which was really cool, because when I started my, my art account, like, on Instagram and stuff, and I came across, like, Skeleton Crew Productions after uh -huh. we had been emailing back and forth, uh -huh. like, which I've been following you all along and uh it, it's so cool like just to see that whole aspect which we haven't even gotten into yet but when you were like oh like from my crew and stuff we were like shit like i hope we still have because we would put like little like a small amount of con inventory so we like sent you what we had and then we had to make like we we had to like not like had to like we had to make like more so that we could get them to like whoever else like wanted totally, them totally. in that regard and i was like this is like so cool but the, those were like some of our favorite ones that we made from back then and then you sure. like you said you shared that that story with John Esposito and that was his the pin that you bought for him was our one and only what we call gimmick pin which had the blinking light the blinking like, light I, I bought two of them because I yeah. wanted one I have it upstairs it's, it's well people office. freak out about them because like I mean oh, yeah. obviously it has a mech so it fails right like yeah. so we didn't want to like get into the habit of doing stuff like that so right. that was our one and only that that one we did for for a graveyard shift was our one and only mechanism like based <laughs> pin so like you guys have like uh, and people still reach out to this day it's a long shot but do you still had like that was five years ago yeah. <laughs> we those are long gone we we had 50 of those made they sold out at like a convention shortly afterwards and like yeah. we just had like a great like little streak for a while that we were doing really well and we're actually like starting to come back now but now i'm like 
I don't know, like with this, like with you having this documentary and stuff coming back, like like so cool. And you sent us some of the coolest stuff ever, like the autograph pictures and yeah. stuff. We actually right. just did a um, an interview which Eric shot for us for our five year anniversary, and we held those up and we we're talking. We we did a little talking segment <laughs> right, on our YouTube it. for that. Yeah, if you ever have that forty seven awesome. minutes to kill and you want to watch us be awkward on YouTube, <laughs> have hey, at you it. You know what, guys? Seriously, no. I'm. Uh, by the way, this is this is. Uh, true if you guys have any of that footage like anything that you guys have and also your original drawings of the of, oh, yeah. of the pin oh, all that yeah, stuff that was on pen and paper yeah yeah guys send me that stuff because i'm in the documentary i'm doing a section on art based oh, cool. on the movie oh awesome well, and awesome. and because again like much like what you're saying about like introducing movies to people for me what I loved about what you did and why I got so excited and why I reached out to you guys directly was not mm -hmm. just to get the pin, but because I was like, anyone getting inspired by what I did mm -hmm. to do what they do? Yeah. Well, that's the paying it forward. Oh, like, yeah, for I, sure. I, yep. without, without George Lucas, I would not have had that moment of obsessive kind of spark that made me yeah. go, no, 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 I will do this. Right. And guys, I'm telling you, from the time I was nine years old, this is not a, and it, it, there's no hyperbole to this. Right. I have spent every single day of my life doing nothing but moving toward that same goal. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. From nine years old. Yeah. Awesome. And never deviated. Never took a moment of like, maybe I'll yeah. try something. Nope. Right. It has been knew. that my whole life. It's so rad. So like it's so cool that you were able to find it. Like that's an incredibly young age to know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when you know, you know. Yeah. yeah. And that's just a beautiful thing. Like, I started like, making stop motion movies that year. Right. That's so cool. Like I was like, I, I have to do this. I, I have to do this. Yeah. And everything, you know, there were no video cameras. It was all like Super Eight and right. The click button to do one frame at a time. Yeah, and I mean the whole, you know, like that was that was it. That's awesome. And if I can, if there's anybody who's even just remotely inspired by. something, something that's what i get off on like oh, that's yeah. exciting for sure you know I, sure. I mean i started teaching when i was 15 um it's when i had my first class as an, as an acting teacher and which sounds ridiculous but it's true um <laughs> and i have never stopped teaching like i've been teaching in la since the year after jason goes to hell i created what ended up becoming skeleton crew right but i work with 60 actors every week some of which have been with me for 25 years that's so cool. and they are my team have you guys seen secret santa you sent no. it out to us. Oh, I did send I did it out to you. Oh, yeah, yeah you saw it. Yeah, I just yeah. watched the trailer for it today, but I, I got caught. I wanted to watch it today, but I got caught okay. up with, with UPS and it really pissed me off. <laughs> All good. All good. I totally get it. The thing about Secret Santa is that it was the first official Skeleton Crew film right. mm -hmm. where I, where Deb and I, because we had just done Texas Chainsaw in a movie called Momentum that, that uh, Morgan Freeman and, and Olga Kirilenko and James yes. Purfoy Texas started. Chainsaw 3D. I didn't find that out until way later. Give him the boy. He's simple anyway. How did that come about? I'm curious. Um, Deb and I were we we were at a management company called Evolution. Evolution, uh, a guy named Mark Berg was the was the creator of that company. Mark is also the guy who brought about the Saw franchise. Yep. So Twisted Pictures is an offshoot of Evolution Pictures. Gotcha. So here's what happens. Mark Berg had given his buddy Carl Mazzacone the rights to the Texas Chainsaw franchise. And he had like a year to get the thing ready to go. So they had hired Steve Susco to write the script. Steve is awesome. He's like a total madman. New York maniac. Totally my kind of guy. Nice. And so Steve wrote a script. And this is when uh, Lionsgate was making the movie proper. They were going to produce the film, right? Mm -hmm. So he wrote a script. 
But Lionsgate had flat out told him, listen, no cannibalism. There can be no cannibalism in this movie. And Susco, like myself, was like, wait a minute, Texas Chainsaw without cannibal? That's yeah. not Texas Chainsaw. Like, right. that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah. Well, the problem is Lionsgate had put out Midnight Meat Train a couple years earlier, which is okay. truly one of the biggest disasters in the company's history. So they're like, we do not do things about cannibalism. <laughs> it's cursed. It don't yeah. work. Yeah. Like, it don't work. <laughs> so Stephen writes a script. And, of course, it's littered with cannibalism. Like, that's the whole thing, <laughs> right? Because he's that madman. He's right. like, ah, fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to give you a right. so, He's like, oops, oops. I, I, I don't know where this oh, all came from. Well, <laughs> he's Eric. Uh, they're eating people. I don't know what. Someone came in and wrote those scenes. So, yeah. um, so they tell him to rewrite it, get rid of the cannibalism. He doubles down, puts in more cannibalism. Awesome. And they fire him. And he learns, like, this is, you know, you can't mess yeah, with studios. They're just going to fire your ass and it's yeah, over. Yeah. So, and by the way, if you haven't seen, he did um, Unfriended 2, Dark Web. Yeah, I, I haven't, but I've heard that. good things. That was really good. I, I've seen the he, first one. I don't, I want to say I've seen the second one, but there's another movie that's kind of... Host? Well, Host. That's host, the other right. okay. oh, yeah. I like all three of those movies. I do too. Here's what's great about Unfriended 2. So, Unfriended 1, I think, is terrific. I think it's a great movie. And Host yeah. is fantastic. But here's the thing. Unfriended 2 is not supernatural. Right. It's completely reality-based, which makes it far scarier. Way scarier. Especially in the times we're living in now. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. really fucking uh, scary. Yeah, I, I, I gotta I didn't even know. So I, didn't I haven't seen the I haven't even seen the, haven't even seen the first one yet. You know, but Check what's great out. is you don't have to see any you don't have to see them in any order. Like right. Unfriended yeah. 2 okay. is a completely, completely different, different movie. movie. Yep. Totally different film. It just happens to be an online chat thing, right, right? right? Okay. So Steven's a lunatic and he's a great filmmaker. The guy's just awesome. So we get told by this guy Carl Mazicone, hey, you know, they they're gonna fire Steve Susco. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. He's a good dude. He says, yeah, well, he's a little lunatic and he wouldn't listen to notes and blah, blah, blah. So we got to start over. So he says, I can't even let you look at his script. So we got to start over. Yeah. So what would you guys do with the Texas Chainsaw movie? Okay. So we pitch what we would do, starting with, as like, I think you start with the last scene of the first movie. Yeah. You have to, and again, they told them it's going to be 3D. I said, how cool would it be if you now digitize all of the, the footage from the original film and then you separate the layers and actually make that footage 3D. That's wild. I said, how cool is that going to be for an audience that mm -hmm. they're watching a film from the mid-70s that is now 3D right. because of our technology? And they're like, oh, we love that idea. I was like, great. I said, because here's the thing. Sally would go right from there to the police. Right. Mm -hmm. And the police would come back yeah. to where the Sawyers are. I said, instead of the Sawyers disappearing into thin air, I said, people in Texas, they don't do that. Right. Like, if you come for them, Last they're going to pick up their fucking gun and the they're going to go. Yeah. yeah. I said, so let's have this sort of great kind of Rob Zombie-ish sort of standoff right. at the beginning of the movie and just tear it up. Like, let's just fucking go for it. Mm -hmm. And the idea of a baby getting taken, right? That mm -hmm. somebody in the crowd of lynchers finds this baby, takes this baby. Okay, our concept had the girl, this this young woman, end up in uh, our original concept, which which got changed. Yeah. But it's a fun concept. I think you guys would dig it. Yeah, totally. um, she ends up with a boyfriend at art school in Chicago, right? They're at the Art mm -hmm. Institute. Boyfriend, uh, you know, super rich kid, very charismatic. For spring break, they're all going to go down to Mexico to his parents' uh, vacation home, right? Mm -hmm. So they all head down past Texas, right? Past, like, sort of Nuevo Laredo. And they end up 
up at this, you know, kind of mansion in Mexico, a huge pool, the whole bit, and they're going to party. Well, what we find out is that her boyfriend is this kid who's actually running drugs up to Chicago through Mexico, and he's just basically a mule for this cartel. Well, this kid has been a loosey-goosey with money and product, and the cartel kidnaps all these kids. Well, cut to, there's an FBI bulletin that comes through because they've been kidnapped, and now there's a ransom for them in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the Sawyers is in the police department and gets the readout yep. and sees something about this girl that you know from the baby, it's the same person. Right. And this guy goes, kin is kin, we're going to get her. <laughs> Whoa. Cut to Jeb and the, the Saw and right. the rest of the family getting in the truck and heading across the border to, to get their the kid. fight the cartel? That's going to party and it was in literally, Mexico. I said, I said, the movie is Leatherface versus Scarface. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what happened was true. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. That's the movie. And oh, it was a way man. to the turn the Sawyers. Massacre. I got to see this movie. And it was the way to turn the Sawyers into sort of the folk heroes and right. the good guys of like, the movie. Like, like we were kind of going like, exactly. Like, so it's like, let's, let's really fuck with this. Like, let's fuck with the audience. Like, let's make them the good guys. That's cool. Right? Okay. And of course, ultimately, you know, Leatherface just fucking murders everybody, including <laughs> her friends who came from Chicago. So it's like, the only one they care about is the girl. That's right, it. Right. That's the only one they're there for. Okay. So that was the concept of the movie. They were like, that's insane. You're nuts. <laughs> totally we can't do that. Yeah. So they said, so what would you do if you just did a Texas Chainsaw movie? We're like, all right. <laughs> so we come up with this idea, still utilizing this idea of this stolen child mm-hmm. and this concept of, okay, where did the Sawyer's money come from? Right? That the Sawyer's are secretly rich because they live on this huge piece of property that has oil rights. Right. And the reasoning for the Sawyer's being fucking nuts is that a basically it's a Hatfields and McCoy story. Right. The McCoys have poisoned their drinking water with the fossil fuels. Right. So over the generations, these people have become fucking maniacs right, right. because they've been poisoned over time. Add in this sort of civil war kind of idea of these two families going at each other, right. and you've got this powder keg, and it's the McCoys who are the ones who end up burning the family at the beginning of the movie. Got they're it. the ones who lynch them. Mm-hmm. But they're not lynching them because they're eating people. They're lynching them because, again, they want to get their land. Right, right. So Leatherface, for the years from the first movie till 1993, which is when the movie was supposed to take place, mm-hmm. Leatherface has been murdering the people who burned his family alive, who killed his family. So it's not just random teenagers. It's a revenge story. Like, we turned it into a revenge movie. Like, he's Charles Bronson all of a sudden, right? (laughs) So that was the movie we pitched. That's the movie they loved. That's the movie they bought. We wrote that movie, and then... Carl Matt, the guy who was the producer, was such a maniac, was so horrible to work with, that Lionsgate went, yeah, we're not producing this for you. We'll put it out. We'll distribute. But we're not We're not going to produce the movie. You go go find your own money. We don't want to work with you anymore. Gotcha. Now, Lionsgate loved Deb and I. Like, we got along great. Carl was furious that we got along great with the studio. Like, he hated that we would, like, listen to their notes. Right. I'm like, yeah, well, I don't want to get fired like Steven got fired, yeah, you totally. idiot. Yeah. Like, I want to help you make your movie. So this became a whole thing. Guys, like... Truly, there were, there were, oh my, it was bad. Oh, but man. here's what happens. They bring John Lucenhop on to direct the movie. You know, John Lucenhop from Takers, 
where you're like, why is he doing a, a slasher movie? Like, why? Like, does he love slasher movies? Nope. <laughs> he likes money, and he likes making movies, and okay. And I always hate when tourist directors come into our genre. Right, right. Because I'm like, you don't love it, so why are you doing it, man? Because it makes money? That's bullshit. Like, right. be an artist and tell the story you want to tell. For sure. Well, yeah. he brings in this young woman, Kristen Elms, to do rewrites. She doesn't do the rewrites. He does the rewrites, but she's WGA member and right. a friend of John's, so she gets the credit for the, for the thing. Yep. And they change the timeline. Suddenly, there's a fucking smartphone in the movie, and I'm like, and by the way, here's how you know we wanted the movie to take place in 1993. In the town square of the town in the movie, Jason Goes to Hell is playing at the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Because it's 1993. Right, right. Because so, you fucking can. <laughs> and because, exactly. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna totally put my movie in this yes. movie. What are you kidding me? Easter egg. It. Exactly. So we had a movie that was so. We wrote a movie for 20 million dollars. The producer could only get eight million dollars to make the movie. So suddenly they cut. They <laughs> they massacred our script. Yeah. Um. In that, guys, I had the beginning of Act Three was Leatherface walking through 2,000 head of cattle stampeding. So mm. imagine the cattle are coming at you while Leatherface is walking through them with oh, the chainsaw buzzing. Like <laughs> okay. that, and I was like, this is your poster. Yeah, that's, that's your fucking poster, yeah. and that's right? Like the yeah. 3D, so sick. perfect 3D. Yes. There you go. You can't, you can't ask for more in 3D. Than so the character Trey Songs plays, he gets mm -hmm. killed when the van flips over, which by the way, we yeah. had the van, van flip over, but he gets killed with like a piece of glass. I was like, oh, that's, wow, how slasher movie. He got killed with a window. Oh, no. Um, I completely forgot that Scott Eastwood is in this as well. Oh, yeah. Like, he was like trying to go roles. by like alias names. Exactly. Yeah. He was yeah. like trying to go by alias names to not skate off uh, his, his father, obviously, Clint Eastwood, but it's like, if you look at Scott Eastwood, there is no, no. misunderstanding no. That no. like he's, he even has the lines side. in his face already. Oh, yeah. He's just like oh, yeah. you know, it's it's in the DNA. And, I'm and by the way, Eastwood that fan. Scott Eastwood character was shoved into the movie. That wasn't in our script. Right. We yeah. didn't have them pick up a hitchhiker. You know why? Because in the early nineties, no one picked up hitchhikers no anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Facts. I was like, that's just dumb. Right. And then they leave. The, they leave the hitchhiker in the mansion, and they all go to the get barbecue. Yeah. But they leave the hitchhiker who they just met in the, and yeah. he starts stealing shit. Yeah. He's like, I'll watch this. Go figure. <laughs> it's so dumb. Like, all the logic stuff, they just threw it into a shredder. Right. And they kept our, our they kept our movie, but then, like, put all this crap in there. So when Trey Songs dies in our script, the, the van flips over, right? So now the, the, the roof of the bus is the side of the bus, yeah. right? And he's laying against it, and you hear the saw outside. You just hear... And suddenly, the saw comes through his chest, through the roof of the car, through his chest. And Alexander Daddario's character like goes to like grab him, yeah. and he grabs the chainsaw like just out of instinct grabs the chainsaw yeah. and his fingers go flying into her face. Oh, man. Right? That's sick. That was the movie we wrote. Right, like we right. wrote this badass. And like, that's a 3D poster right. if I've ever yes! seen it right there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is so like, cool to hear. Not these... only is the chainsaw come at you, but now the fingers launch yeah, off into the... your face. Perfect. Like, come on, man. Come on, man.
It's so wild, wild to, to hear these these alternates that these these could have been. So you know what I mean? This is yes. amazing. It's wild oh, to hear way, any of this like period because I, I watched when I watched this movie. This movie still is like so gritty to me. Yeah. Uh, because of the state that I was in when I watched this movie, so I remember it, I was in my early twenties. So forgive me here. Sure. But I sure. was I I was at a party like the night before at like a friend's down the road. I wasn't a big party. Or Adam can attest to that. But like I, I happened to get very fucking hammered this night. Like I was around. <laughs> you know, like good people. There was there was going to be no issues, like whatever. So like I had a blast and like I woke up the next day and I have had one of the worst hangovers of my life. I couldn't even eat anything, just like wanted to die, like just roll into fetal position. I eventually like get some life back in me and I, I make some Annie's like mac and cheese and I sit down on the couch. And like I said, horror has been like running through my veins since I was a, a child. So I was like, you know what? There's this new Texas Chainsaw 3D movie I got to watch and I put it on and, and and like watching it in that state where you're like so grossed out and, and at that point in time I, I reluctantly had a pretty fucked up job working in a slaughterhouse so oh, like I was dude. already like super fucked like you know to begin with so I was like I was like alright like Texas I'll be fine like and I wanted to vomit like throughout the majority of the movie but like it added to what I was watching. Yeah. So I'm sitting here and I'm watching this movie and, and it's like, I've seen all these Texas Chainsaw movies and I love the original. Yep. The second one's a straight comedy. Yep. The third one I absolutely love. And like, oh. you know, I, I'm just like a huge fan of, of so, so many aspects of that movie. And then when I came into this, it was like, I'm watching it in the state I need to be in this like dark, like dingy, like gritty feeling, just like cuddling there with my, you know, mac and cheese. <laughs> and I, it's how I, I will forever remember it for the rest of my life. And it, it was the exact setting I needed to be in to watch it and i absolutely loved it that's awesome, awesome. Thanks, absolutely man. loved it i don't know Thank if that's you. good feedback no it's great <laughs> but, it's great but but i gotta tell you like even that last scene like you know for me there's two guys beating up leatherface at the end of the movie in our script there were 12 people it was the last 12 people from the mob mm -hmm. who were trying to beat him down yeah and when he gets a hold of the chainsaw and by the way we never wrote the line do your thing cuz oh my god <laughs> okay uh, thank you that's it's so that's so waiting on refreshing that to hear i was talking to casey <laughs> oh, about that that's awesome Dude, I, 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 when, when Deb and I saw the movie, the, uh, Lionsgate, who were wonderful to us, they were great. Lionsgate showed us the movie. Deb and I were alone in a full, in a, you know, in a complete movie theater by ourselves, just the two of us sitting in the theater watching the movie. And everybody was so excited about the movie. And remember, the movie came out number one. We, we are the reason that Django Unchained never went to number one. Like oh, I wow. kept Quentin Tarantino from going to number one with that movie. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, which I take as a personal like triumph. That's a win. Um, oh yeah, I would. But here's the thing. They were all excited. We're watching the film, and Deb and I just kept looking at each other, going, "What? What is this? What's happening? Like, right. What did they do?" And it was that movie that I then went to our now producing partner Brian Sexton, and I said to him, "He hated where he was working. He was making like ten movies a year, and he hated everything he was making." Yeah. The three of us were just sitting around my kitchen table, and we're like, "Are we done with this shit? Like, can right. we can we actually make shit we're really proud of, and that like is ours that we wanted that we actually want to make?" That's awesome. Yeah. And that's when Skeleton Crew really went into full effect. And that's, that's when we, we came up with Secret Santa as the first movie out of the company. Because mm -hmm. I was like, I want to start making stuff that I'm proud of. That if even if I get a bad review, I right. go, great, you're reviewing my work. Right. I'm cool. Like, then I'm cool about it. For yeah. sure. But yeah, it's 100% you. It wasn't somebody else right. did something. Right. And right. then you're like, that's not me. This was me. That wasn't me. You know. Yep. Right. When somebody goes, the timeline doesn't make sense. I'm like, you're right. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> want to read? 
read our script, it right. makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah. We, we don't say things like "Do your thing," cause what the what the <laughs> fuck is that line? That's awesome. I mean, I'm sorry when someone when when the kid in the movie says "Welcome to Texas" and it's the girl who's not from Texas. <laughs> you're like, well, why are you welcoming welcoming them? To right. t- you're going to give them a Texas beatdown, are you, yeah. girl from Chicago? <laughs> it, it's idiotic. So, yeah, it's so, the logic out the window thing. Like, it's happened yeah. in right. almost every franchise, though. I mean, like if you go yes. into uh, like was it Halloween Five or uh-huh. with Buster uh-huh. Rhymes and yeah. stuff? Like there's there's yeah. always oh, that's later. That's not five. That's is later. that six? That's is it, is it the... Are you talking about, did you say well, Halloween H2O? H2, 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 no, not H2O. That's seven. It's that's after seven. it. Okay, no, it's, it's, sorry, it's uh, Afterlife? Or, oh, wait, no, it's... Um, oh, shit. The one where Buster Rhymes is doing the reality show. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then he kung fu fights Michael oh. Myers. What the fuck? In Resurrection. The Myers house. Resurrection. Resurrection. It's Resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I was like, Afterlife? No, Resurrection. Because we did, we did um, a pin for Resurrection. I remember it, like yeah. the mask. Because yeah. I think the origins are like the mask just going through it. I think Five was like the one with the crazy like scenes of like him walking through like... Uh, well, guys, you know you know, in... Uh, I think it was Daniel Ferens who, who wrote part six. I think yep. it's six. It might be five. But, uh, but there's a ton of ripped off stuff from Jason Ghost Hell in that movie. A ton. No way. A ton. And he wrote us a fan letter. He wrote oh, Dean cool. Lurie and I a fan letter about how much he loved our script. Yeah. Like, he was inspired. Movie was badass, blah, blah, blah. Right. And we go to see this. Dean and I saw the movie together and we were like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. What? And literally their entire sections where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's our movie. Shot. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I never thought about that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wait, wh- which crazy. one was it? I gotta write this down now. Um, it's the one. There's a television kind of like exploitive TV guy who's uh, very Stephen Culp esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a baby. It's. I mean, the number of things where you're like, "Wow, this is Jason Goes to Hell," huh? Is it the one with Paul Rudd? Yeah. Yeah. That's All right, yeah. The Curse of Michael Myers, number six. Yeah, yeah. six. Okay, it's yeah. six. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Daniel, Daniel, Rudd. and by the way, a very sweet guy. But I'm like, yeah. bro, that's wow. Well, that's really our he, movie. Like, at least he like okay. reached out and was like, hey, I wasn't like, I, I'm a huge fan, fan letter. Like, at least right. Yeah. But, but, but he, he never bit said you. he didn't say like I'm ripping off your shit. Yeah, he he's bit like, it. I love your he shit. So I have the yeah. evidence of like it's an aggressive you. homage. By the way, yeah. the Man in Black. Yeah. Throughout the movie, it's Creighton Duke. I'm like, you're yeah. even doing Creighton. What are you doing, Creighton Duke for? Like, what's up? No one, no one else can do <laughs> Creighton Duke. What's up, baby? Yeah. By the way, to that, and and I will tell you because this, I'm literally working on it right now. Stephen Williams and I have been wanting to work together ever since Jason Goes to Hell, and and he's a total maniac, um, just a brilliant genius actor. So we are we are collaborating on something together right now for Skeleton awesome. Crew that is. You know, inspired by the work we've done in the past, mm-hmm. let's say. We like. And it's one of the most badass projects I've ever worked on. It's, oh, it is, it is, um, it's like a mid-70s exploitation movie meets demons, meets yes. the evil oh. dead. It's insane. That's awesome. With, you know, with, with Stephen, uh, with Stephen Williams, you know, in a black duster and a back brace. Yes. I um, love that for you just in general. That's awesome. fucking awesome. <laughs> It's pretty cool. <laughs> so we so we got that look that to look forward to. We yeah. got oh. a documentary to look forward to. Oh yeah. We got is there anything else that we have upcoming? Dude, we've you? shot we've shot a hundred hours on that documentary. Oh, we have a hundred wow. hours of footage. It's that's crazy. gonna be cool. 
Hold on, I got. I gotta ask since we talked about Duke. The yeah. line in the movie where he asked the reporter asked Duke. I know where you're going. Say the first thing that comes to your mind, Jason Voorhees, and he says, "A little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog through a donut." Yep. What the fuck did that mean? <laughs> I knew Eric was going there. Here's the thing. Here's what do thing. you think that means? What's What's great about What's great about that moment is that when Dean and I were sitting in the office, and Dean's the one who who came up with that line. Mm-hmm. I think I added the donut. I think he <laughs> talked about the little girl in a hot. In a, he had the little girl in the dress, and he said something about a donut. And I said she should be sticking a hot dog through it. And the two of us started laughing like till we were crying. <laughs> and we're like, well, that's going in the movie. And I remember Sean Cunningham going, what the fuck is this line? And we're like, it's going to be epic. You know, yeah. you know. It will be epic. Oh, yeah. um, it's so straight faced too when he said it. Yeah. Total. He, he took everything deadly serious. And by the way, we to- I told him right when I hired him, I was like, look, you are Quint. Yeah. We literally gave him the line, I'll get you the mask, the machete, the whole damn thing. Right. I mean, we, we gave him the line, and I'm like, you have to take this as seriously as if you're Robert Shaw. Yeah, like, it has cool. to be that guy. Yeah. And what's awesome about Stephen Williams is that he was like, hey, man, can I make this a little more perverse? That's cool. And I'm like... What would you like to do? He's like, well, like when John LeMay gives me his hand in the prison scene, I'd like to softly caress his hand. <laughs> like I'm going to ask for like a prison wank. Right, right. And I was like, oh, yes, yeah. do that. Like, let's go down <laughs> that road. Right. So, More you know, flavor. like there's there's so many, right, there's, <laughs> there's so many things in the movie where I knew shooting it. I, I'm sorry. I tied a middle-aged Andy Block naked with his legs in stirrup to a table and then had an African-American behemoth of a man in Richard, in, in, in Richard come down and shave him yeah. and then give him a kiss. <laughs> I knew what I was doing. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm like, sure. okay. I was like, all right. So a ton of my audience is like heterosexual bro dudes yeah. who are not afraid of any gore that I can put on the screen, mm-hmm. but I want to scare the shit out of them. How do I do that? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. An interracial kiss. Yeah. <laughs> And the white guy is naked. Let's do that. (laughs) I never thought about it like that, but that is great. Right after he gets shaved, I I wanted I wanted the audience to constantly feel like. And by the way, it's it's the thing about Wes Craven that I love so much. Um, who who I I got to call Uncle Wes when I was when I was a kid, which is amazing. Incredible. Um, the thing about Wes, when he would make a movie, there was always something in the first act that made you go, like the beginning of Scream, the first scene in Scream, you go, I'm not safe in this movie. This, right. this, this director is unsafe. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's a really incredibly powerful thing. Kubrick it does it. Hitchcock did it, of yeah. course. But there was always this feeling like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Right. The door's left open. Right. You're fucking with me. I mean, mm-hmm. I blew up Jason eight minutes and 23 seconds into a Jason movie. Yeah. Like, I blew him up. He's gone. Yeah. And had this bounty hunter who you've never met before in the entire franchise just growl out, I don't think so. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you don't know what I'm gonna do next. Like, right. I, and by the way, that line does not appear in the script. Oh, that was that was ad lib. Uh-huh. I I I walked up to Steven. He was sitting on the hill, and all he was supposed to do was see it happen. Right, right? he's just there and sees it happen. And I walked over to Steven. I said, I said, Hey, dude, listen. I said, Just for one take, just growl out. I don't think so. 
That's like, awesome. you know better than everybody else. Right. And he was like, I love that idea. And it was great because Dean Laurie, <laughs> Dean Laurie was a tough motherfucker to get a compliment from. <laughs> Dean Laurie, I walked back over to Dean. He goes, you son of a bitch. You just wrote the best line of dialogue in the movie. I'm it like, is. well, that's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's our, it's our, you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but that, love that, that. look, I, and, and again, it was incredibly collaborative. Like the whole thing was so collaborative. My actor, again, this movie, it's the only Friday 13th movie that had a rehearsal period. I had a six-week rehearsal period with my actors before oh, the movie. Awesome. No one rehearses a Friday the 13th movie. Right. Like, the actors were like, you want to do what? I'm like, let's rehearse. Yeah, I'm here. Let's do it. Let's work yeah. the scenes. That's super cool. Yeah. No, it was, it, it's, look, it's, again, I'm super freaking proud of the movie. And honestly. It should be. Once, the, thank you. Once that fan site went up on Facebook and within a couple of days there were there were a couple thousand people on it yeah. and I was like what happened here that moment I just went all right maybe we should do a doc yeah. like maybe yeah. we should do this I put it on Indiegogo we were overfinanced like that Bam. I was like awesome. okay then I'm I will put in the time because I'm not making any money on it right. I'm like I'll put in the time to do this because people want to know so, so cool that's worth wait. it to me like I'll do that that's cool you know? And it's just legacy, right? It's like this it's just another chapter. Completely. And by the way, we did um one of the one of the um the perks was was a Creighton Duke pin mm-hmm. that was totally inspired by you guys. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Entirely inspired. That's why I was like, no no no, I gotta I gotta have a pin in this thing because yeah. my my the, my my boys at Rat Knife, like they're the they're the gold standard. We'll do what we if can do. If you ever need but... a pin for anything else, yeah. Adam, please Dudes, reach I will out. Come yeah, we'll to I will absolutely do that. That for would be sure. amazing. I I I was not the guy dealing with the vendors. Oh on no, this totally, thing, totally. So. Yeah, no. But regardless, we'd love no, to be out there. Yeah. Please, I again. Later creator only gets uh, that's that that salutation only comes to people that are actual mm-hmm. artists. That's, yeah. that's that's how I sign stuff to my art friend. Yep. Can, can we? Um, can I? Your rat knife fam, man. Anytime, <laughs> anytime you want, bro. I want to use later. Anytime you want. Anytime you want. I've been saying it since I was what? It's perfect. Fourteen, I think fourteen. Is that's what I awesome. Started saying it. Adam, yeah, thank awesome. you so much for coming on, man. Like this, hearing all these uh, inside insane fucking a lot stories. Of stuff, oh man, this is this has been such a cool night and like super fun. I feel like I could listen. You just tell stories for for hours, right? <laughs> I'm just so glad. I'm honestly so glad that you guys created this arena for yourselves because I think you guys need a much bigger audience. I think you need people to know who you are and what you guys are doing. And you know, even if your your art right now is something that is you know small runs of things mm-hmm. where it's like these collectors that get really intense about that stuff and it's freaking incredible. I, I think you guys are you're you're the kind of film literates that people like me need, like we need Mm -hmm. you guys. We need people who are this passionate about movies that are this passionate about the world that are created by filmmakers and inspired enough that you make your own art based on those things. Yeah, screw art, we're we're trying to make a whole lifestyle brand. Well, guys, by the way, you guys, honestly, like I'm telling you, and, and it's something we can talk about in the future because we, we, we are, we are pushing some of this, but you guys, you're the kind of people who should, who should be, who should have licenses. Like you should be getting those, those deals because your work is really good. So you you, you do, yeah, well, you do the kind of stuff where I'm telling you like a new line or, you know, I mean, look, Warner Brothers is a pain in the ass, but, uh, (laughs) but, but there, but there are, there are so many companies out there that need what you do mm-hmm. yeah for sure you know like, yeah so we'd love to too it's, it's just a matter of like honestly it's like we're having fun with what we're doing yeah. and it's like we don't you referenced it many times when this becomes work that's when it stops being fun right. so it's like if right. we can find ways to work with guys like you with work with these smaller right. 
indie stuff or whatever, like, yep. and keep it fun. As soon Absolutely. as it's not fun, that's when we know we've, we're, we're losing the battle. 100%. 100%. We, we need something Secret Santa for December. Yeah. Woo! Let's do something. Do it! Throw it out there. <laughs> do it! <laughs> I, even, I even have an idea that I can throw your way. Go All right. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, yeah, guys, look, I, I, again, I think, um, I think what you guys do is incredible. And I have to tell you, like, I'm so excited that you guys asked me on for the Halloween like, episode, oh, which is, like, yeah. amazing. So, like, <laughs> happy Halloween to everybody who's listening to this thing. This is hell badass yeah. that I happen to be the lucky guy to, to draw that card. Hell yeah. Because um, it's, you know, it's, it's our Christmas. You know? Exactly. For, for our oh, filmmakers, yeah. this is everything. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah thank, we can't thank you enough. Yeah, and like, thank you so much for coming on. Really for sure. It. And like, I hope this isn't the last time you come on and hang with oh, us because we, no. we've had a blast hearing back. the stories. And oh, You I'm have sure. so much more to say, too, I, I can tell. So I'm sure, I'm we're sure going to have to run it back. There's, there's, a, there's many, many more episodes worth of amazing stories from you. Adam. I love it. I love <sighs> it. We'll do it. We'll awesome. do it. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Have a happy Halloween, everyone. That concludes the episode of the Rat Knife Podcast with Adam Marcus. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your trick-or-treating or your introverted stays at home watching horror movies.